welcome to another episode of the Crash Chords Podcast. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. A.k.a. Storm this week, because we have another Matt, but that's besides the point. I'm John. I'm Steve. And, of course, that song that you heard at the top of the show is called Letting Go by our guest, Matt Dorsey. Thank you for joining us, Matt. I'm glad to be here. Um, <laughs> you and Steve, apparently. What's so funny? I don't know. It's always just Look, your, not everyone your energy, can... and then he comes in, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> well, because not everybody can be as obnoxious as you two are. This is true. I'm going to be getting more obnoxious I'm as sure. the show progresses. I just um, get loud. So Matt is a bass player. He joins us um, from the mutual school that Steve went to, that as I right. understand. That's where the connection comes from. Um, you're in New York as well, right? Yeah. And where specifically in New York? In Williamsburg. Williamsburg, okay. Yeah. But not, not, not first Williamsburg. Right, first yeah. Williamsburg. That's where I'm originally from. Well, oh, we're cool. going to get into all this. Mm-hmm. But right now, you are in, although we're not announcing you as such, it is Matt Dorsey of Blue Spruce, but also Matt Dorsey of Matt Dorsey. Yeah. As, as a solo and East Coast Ghost solo act. Yeah, yes. but East Coast Ghost is over. Oh, they finished. Formerly, oh. formerly oh. of <laughs> East Coast Ghost. So since you're a freelancer, I'm going to call you Matt Dorsey Incorporated. Sure. Just, just right. for the sake of this. Or okay. LTD. Uh, but like yeah, LTD. Matt already got the elephant out of the room. Uh, we know each other. Hi, Matt. Hi. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> uh, you're actually the third SUNY New Paltz alumni that I've brought on, following Tony Catalano in episode 131. That was "You're Dead" by Flying Lotus, and Devin Jackson Mullen of Anxious Kids Make Good People in episode 141 that was Nocturne by Wild Nothing. Surprise, surprise, we've at times been found guilty of playing favorites, I guess, for our guests. Matt Storm with the burlesque crowd and me with fellow alumni. I just don't know anyone. That's true. John's useless. (laughs) That's fair enough. But uh, honestly, the reason I do it for New Paltz is because I really do feel that New Paltz was kind of an unexpected musical school. Despite its appearance as kind of a run-of-the-mill state school, not really known for its music department, it didn't really matter. Whether you were in the department or not, half the school, it seemed, was probably jamming out on a street corner or in our wait-for-it six, count them, six practice rooms, or maybe just fiddling in their bedroom. And you kind of fit this bill, Matt, because you were going to school for radio and TV production. Meanwhile, having lived in the same suite with you for over two years, it seemed like you never put the bass down. And although you kind of downplayed it, you had quite the humble side to me, it felt like it was just one layer after another of your musical prowess that was slowly being revealed. Your band, uh, Matt just mentioned, East Coast Ghost with high school friend Chris Pratton, uh, which you did awesome work in, and that time you effortlessly joined me in a funk jazz jam of Chopin's Fantasy Impromptu, which I've since called Funkacy Impromptu, and finally, <laughs> that time that you told me you wrote a symphony in high school. Uh, you know, who doesn't write one of those, you know, in high school, right? You didn't. That's oh, true. <laughs> okay, that's doesn't? a point. That's a point right there. Right? Who does it? Oh, it's scoreboard. <laughs> but of course, now that you've flung yourself headfirst into music, studying audio and post-production, and you also do solo work, and you're the bassist and backing vocalist for the most fun band to say, Blue Spruce. And yeah, just to name drop a couple of well-known musical locales, you're a Woodstock Williamsburg transplant. And if I didn't know you personally, I'd say they don't come much more hipster than that. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if I'm hipster, but... (laughs) That's what hipsters always say. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Okay, well, let me put it this way. Like, I look like a poor person because I just can't afford clothes like that rich people buy so my clothes are actually well i'm in plaid but this was like an eight dollar plaid shirt instead of like fifty dollar you know with a hole in it or something that's true (laughs) that's That's true true. well then he's the truest of hipsters really i guess i'm just a a poor person with no money okay that's not the bought and sold (laughs) so before we get off williamsburg before we get too far from it let's talk a little bit about letting go which is the first track we featured which was an instrumental um so did you you wrote all of the instruments yeah in that and you didn't did you play all of them as well yeah except for that lead part which is kind of um 
I don't know if you guys thought this, but I kind of thought that it was kind of like a little separate from it because it was just something something I brought in way at the end. Right. So I wrote and played everything, drums, bass, guitar, and then I had my friend who was really good at leads just kind of come in, but we had no time, so he's kind of improvs and I kind of just took what I liked. I didn't think anything sounded separate. I thought it was completely integrated, and I thought it was a full band. Cool. Yeah, didn't think it was all Matt Dorsey Incorporated, which is why I'm really glad I'm coining that term. (laughs) So it sounds like that bass is your main instrument, though, but you do know how to play and write on other instruments. Uh, And how long have you been playing bass for? Uh, Since I was 15. Oh, wow. And what inspired you to want to play the bass? Was there, like, a favorite bassist you had that kind Um, of pushed you towards it? Sort of. It's mainly because of my friendship with Chris Pratton, who is in East Coast Coast. Mm -hmm. Um, So we we were friends. We were in Boy Scouts together, and uh, we were on a camping trip, and he he brought his electric guitar with him, unplugged. I don't know what the logic was. We were teenagers, but, um, yeah, I saw it there. I was like, that's the coolest thing in the world. I want to learn to play guitar, so he taught me, and I was like, let's be in a band, he's like, well, I play guitar, so you should play bass, and I was like, okay, so then, <laughs> so like, then you learn bass. Yeah. So Chris Pratton imparted a lot to you, he imparted to me a shirt, a red shirt that I wear a lot, yeah, actually, Chris, <laughs> I don't have a lot of yeah, them. Yeah, Chris Pratton has good taste in clothes, and he likes to give them away, but oh. I mean, I, he's like the reason I was into pop punk music in general, and why, like, he like showed me all the bands that like I got into, mm-hmm. and he's kind of the reason why I played bass, and why I play guitar. So, but tell us a little bit about East Coast Ghost. How did that band come to be? What was the the, the thought behind it? Just like the kind of evolution. I mean, Chris and I had bands like a band. Basically, it was like one project that would change names and other it. members, so people would come in, and we I mean, mostly just switching drummers. It was hard for us to find a drummer, and that's kind of really important in a yeah. punk band. I would so, imagine. Yeah, I mean, we were originally Spitball Masker Sunday when we were in high school. <laughs> I was 15 and he was like, I think he was 17. But then we eventually like had a couple other names and then we ended as East Coast Ghosts and that's when we kind of just faded away. Got it. <laughs> Did you guys still play music together and write together at all? No, not actually, really. no, we're not really close at all. That's we kind of got Yoko Ono'd a little bit. No. Oh. Well, I mean, like, we have been trying to be in a band and like we had like the dream of like let's be in a band and we'll make it big and like we'll be famous we'll have albums and stuff like that was the dream and i honestly believed it i mean i wanted I right because you wanted that um i mean then but then like you know i'm 24 he was 25 and we're like what are we doing he kind of didn't want to do it and then he got a girlfriend and mm. i don't know like when you get a girlfriend, you're really excited about that. Just, look at that. I was going to put the onus on you for moving to Brooklyn, and I just thought uh, it was a natural no, thing. No, it uh. ended when we were living together in Poughkeepsie. Mm. Um, he just, like, didn't want to do it anymore. That's a bummer. It is a bummer. I mean, like, I get it. I still kind of, like, blame. I don't know if I blame is the right word, but uh, I, I'm it's still It's not kind the of, way you would have wanted to yeah, go. It's, it's just, like behind the musician's studio <laughs> for the first, like, <laughs> ten minutes of the podcast here. Um, but, yeah, so that's how that ended. I mean, he just kind of, like, we just went our separate ways. I think he still plays, but um, we're not really... You're not even really in contact anymore. Gotcha. Well, then let's move on to happier times. Talk about the band that you're in currently, Blue (laughs) Spruce. So how did that come to be? That came from school. I go to CCNY now at the Sonic Arts Program, Mm -hmm. and there was a rock ensemble class, which just sounded fun. Yeah, that sounds cool. Literally, just you for a grade, you just come in and play covers, and you like can play (laughs) some of your original songs too. You just make a band, and like it's it's like focusing on performance and stuff like that. But I met a lot of cool people there. I was like, hey, if you guys ever need like a bassist, I obviously play bass. So then I met them there, and then we formed Blue Spruce. Nice. And do you guys play around the city a lot? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Awesome. Um, it's pretty polished stuff, I have to say. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thank you. I mean, uh, they're all like Sonic Arts majors, which is like right. odd. it's like a traditional music theory 
like like coursework and then also mm -hmm. audio engineering. So I mean, he engineered it. We are actually recording a, like our next album now. We just recorded yesterday. We're, oh, cool. Yeah, That's uh, but awesome. like we're at the school recording. Like they went to school for recording. I'm like just starting this program, so it's like really cool. That's why it sounds so good because he's just doing it. He just knows how to. Record. And that's why the band name sounds so fun to say. <laughs> it's actually his last name. It's oh, Spruce? really? Yeah, his was, his name is Miles Blue Spruce because he's part Native American. Oh, he didn't pick the name. Yeah. We, like someone else, like was like, "Hey, you should just call it Blue Spruce. That sounds like a band name." We're like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. See, as Matt said last week, other people get to pick your nicknames specifically. You yeah. said that about two weeks ago in regards to John. Oh yeah, can't absolutely. Do that. Yeah. You can't just like you yeah, can't say pick his your own, own name. name. No, like yeah. my my nickname comes from the burlesque community. I do DJ and and sound work for the burlesque community, and I was dubbed Stormageddon, and the name stuck, and so that's my nickname. But I'm not gonna be calling you that today. That's <laughs> no. fine. You're I'll right call now. you Storm. You get that much. Um, so, uh, with Blue Spruce, you guys play live quite a bit. Do you have any kind of plans to go on tour? Have you guys toured outside um, of New York at all? or Not yet. We're still pretty new. I mean, we've okay. only been a band for a couple of months. Okay. Um, and this is kind of the opposite of what it was with East Coast Ghost, where I was like kind of like a co-creator and a co-writer and like very invested. I mean, not that I'm not invested in Blue Spruce, but I'm kind of just came on to learn these songs, play bass. I didn't even you write You feel more lines. like a session musician. Yeah, a little bit like that. I mean, I still put in input, but like I'm not as... Like, it's not, like, my dream. Like, this is my baby. Like, you know, right, like, right. When East Coast Ghost died, like, that was very personal to me. Like, this is kind of more like, I love playing music. This is what I want to do with my life. And, like, these are great songs. So, like, cool. yes, obviously, awesome. I'm down for that. That's kind of interesting because really you get like a full, well-rounded experience. Like starting yeah. from a position where you were, yeah, the co-creator, you're a songwriter, you have the instinct to create something, and I, I feel like that's often very difficult to, to take the step back, but you seem to be accepting it with grace. Yeah. Well, yeah. being in a band with someone is like being in a relationship with someone. Especially, oh, of course. I mean, like, because you... You do it for the art. Well, yeah, you're for sharing the product. your most personal things, and people, especially like if you... Are, I mean, I am very personal about what I create. So if I'm like, here, what do you think about this? Like, I'm very vulnerable. You have to be yeah. like very trusting with that person. So, I don't know. East Coast Ghost was more like a marriage, and Blue Spruce is kind of more like just like a nice, casual, like strong friendship with benefits. Aww. All right. <laughs> One that's actually progressing fairly quickly. That you're cutting your first record after a couple of months with the band. Yeah. Well, he just has a like, huge yeah. volume of work. We just have song. He's just like here. We learn a song. Wow. And it's like he's just downloading his mind onto all of you. Basically, it's like learning covers, but they're not. They're original. So I'm just like learning wow. apart. I'm like, this is awesome and this is fun. And I get to like just play. It's amazing. I like it. Kind of gets your bass chops like a little bit up, right? Because Definitely. then you have to work in a style that you're not completely comfortable with. Absolutely. You know, because otherwise it's just you playing you. Yeah. And, you know, you can get kind of stuck in a cycle that way. I, so it's I always good to did. diversify. Yeah, I definitely did. I mean, I had a very specific style that went with playing with East Coast Ghost because I wrote everything. So it's whatever was in my head. So like picking up someone else's stuff is like, this is different. But I like it. It's like another tool in my toolbox of bass stuff I can whip out. <laughs> and awesome. uh, what would you say? Uh, is there a certain bassist or band in general that's influenced a lot of your writing and your bass playing style? Um, when I was in high school, it was the bassist from Less Than Jake. Sure. His, his name's Roger. Um, but well, that's because the band that I was with, Chris, I would think we were cassette uptake at that time. <laughs> Not that it's very important, but um, we were like, kind of like a ska punk band. And Less Than Jake is very ska, and their bassist sure. is very active and like taking a very like strong leading role in like the in the song so like I kind of looked up to him and that's kind of where I base my style off of but not so much anymore where you base your style off of uh, oh it had God. to be done it no, had to be done I'm once keeping, we've I'm never had a proper track. bassist on this this is number four of the puns you're gonna get the merits at the <laughs> oh, end of the crap. episode all right well, actually I, I did detect 
uh, Less Than Jake because I'm a I was a huge Less Than Jake fan cool. in high school, and I also detected Offspring. Yeah, which I was very happy that you said you were a fan of Offspring. I felt vindicated. You call right over here. He's like, I bet he's a fan of Offspring. Be like, I, I don't want to speak for him. It. I don't know anything he ever said that to me personally. But <laughs> I listened to Smash the the Offspring album so much that I melted in my CD player. I had wow. the same experience with a band called <laughs> wow. Eve Six in the '90s. Okay, like yeah. I just played that album, their self-titled album, over and over again until it like cracked down the middle, <laughs> and I had to buy a new one. But yeah. it's it's actually really refreshing because it's it's not your 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 individual works your your personal works yeah. are not just uh, so concrete in any one genre like it feels a little bit off the wall and the next piece that we're going to go into later on in the show getting comfortable is like anything but I like how it's it is kind of scattered all over the place and it really has like a, its own little character it doesn't really seem to sit in any one genre uh, can you speak to the inspiration from that piece um, getting comfortable um, is about. Being to getting comfortable and being sad is like the notion behind that song. Like being sad with being comfortable. No, no, being comfortable and like okay, I'm gonna be sad now forever. It's kind of like how I was feeling. Like acceptance. Oh. Yeah. Like accepting it. I see. Okay, interesting. Um, and all of that in an instrumental. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, word like words have never been my strong suit. I suck at talking, and I'm even worse at singing. So. <laughs> this will be fun on a podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. He's I'm, a musician. That's what right. we do. I know. This. Don't harsh his vibe. I get it. I got it. Uh, um, but yeah, I was just coming out of a breakup. Obviously, I was feeling a certain way about sure, of it. Of course, absolutely. No, I mean, that makes sense. It's What's interesting to me about listening to instrumentals is what you can kind of pull from them. Like, letting go. I mean, you had said before we went on the air that it started out as a project for school, and yeah. then you kind of just named it recently. And I think being able to kind of wrap your mind around naming something has always been interesting to me as a songwriter. Like, do you always find that names come easily to a song or does it depend on how the songwriting process goes i mean to me it's like naming a dog i'd have to absolutely meet the dog before i can name it you so know yeah, I mean? you can't just like come up with a name yeah. and go i'm gonna write a song to this you gotta know its yeah. personality first yeah, yeah. I, well i would never ever name a song before i writ, write it yeah i mean like i would like i usually write or name a song after the end i'm like what is this like what was i feeling when i was yeah. doing this because like there are no words so it's more like just like what i'm thinking i know sure. people who do that too like they write names you're like this is a great name for a song and then they just have this giant list of names and they yeah. never attach anything to it <laughs> yeah. because it's, they're two separate ideas. You're never going to find the core thing. The core thing will always be in the music. The name is an afterthought and it either works or it doesn't. I'm going to jump around here because I know we're kind of like on present day Matt, but I want to go back to past Matt a little sure. bit. Um, this is just a question that I've been wondering ever since we mentioned that you moved from Woodstock to Williamsburg. Mm. The music scene, uh, kind of a shock and awe experience. Like, what was it yeah. like in Woodstock? Give us that, because people have that that association with Woodstock as being the big, like, you know, music town just because of the festival back in '69. And did that ever get attached to you, or was it just done by well, that there's point? Definitely, like a really strong music scene in, in Woodstock. It just wasn't my music scene. It wasn't yeah. what. So, um, you know, like a lot of folk stuff or like stuff that I would call folks I'm like from the pop punk so I mean like I'm sure they would call it something else but I mean there's like really great studios up there really great bands great venues but like it just what like they didn't want like a uh, punk band that, yeah. Yeah. yeah so moving to Brooklyn obviously I mean like I went to school and literally just like ran into all these musicians that like in Blue Spruce and I was just like let's do this and like I have a, like a bunch of other projects like with other people just like, hey, like, you play guitar, I play bass, let's make songs, I want to record them. That's just, like, this huge smattering. That's one thing about Brooklyn and New York City in general. You will probably find someone in your niche. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. I mean, I've met tons Tears of Steve. musicians <laughs> just through both the scene I DJ in and just through friends and through a yeah. bar we mentioned on the show quite a bit, The Way Station, which mm -hmm. is um, in Prospect. It's 
it, it's it's a very it be, it started as a Doctor Who theme bar and became a music venue. It's still a Doctor Who theme bar, but like I mean, they That's rearranged. That's incidental at this point. It, at yeah. this point, it's a, it's about the live music scene, and they have bands from all walks of life come through there, and it's pretty cool. And um, you know, I've, they have their niche. It's funny though, because I feel like they would be more up the alley of the kind of stuff that Matt just says he left. Like the Americana folk scene a little bit. No, they have I, a lot of that there. They only on the nights you've been there and you don't go there that often. They have plenty of hip hop oh, and swing and funk down. and I mean I've heard tons of different kinds of bands. You gotta bring them up to a it, funk it, night. It, it, if you, really you go, well, well, I so I'm supposed to be sued for the Wasties, the band that was named after the bar, kind of setting the, the precedent um, for well, what they, they came, might do. The funny thing about them is they came after they'd already had lots of live music. So. Right. But it, it's one of those things where it did definitely start out that way. It was a lot of singer-songwriters, but as the, 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 the venue got bigger, and this happens a lot in Brooklyn, I've found. You can tell me differently just to the venues you've played, but like venues kind of have a niche, and then eventually, if they want to diversify, they grow beyond it, and they mm. kind of build out. Do you find that like when you're playing shows in Brooklyn or in New York in general, are there a certain kind of band you're always playing with, or is it kind of there's a variety to it? Uh, I mean, it's <coughs> first of all, I'm like, I've only played a couple shows in Brooklyn, um, so I feel very like a new new yeah. at like shows in Brooklyn, but it's always been very different bands. So yeah. like that will speak to like I've, there's always been a variety, and it's really cool. You meet really cool people. Yeah, with like like a stark contrast to like I literally mil- lived in the middle of nowhere. Like there's two <laughs> nowhere towns, and I lived in, in the one, middle of them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think just coming to a cosmopolitan center in general is probably going sure. to do your creativity wonders. Yeah, yeah. and um, arguably the best city in the world. I don't know. It's definitely. I would say so. I appreciate I that. Yeah. Personally, we have listeners yeah. from other places, though. I don't want to, you know, yeah. burn but, bridges. Well, from a person coming from Woodstock, coming to the city, I'm just like, oh my god, this is so amazing. I didn't even realize that it was so amazing. So you sure. get it. So I get. It. But then also people who I talk to who have always lived here they're always like oh my god why did you come here like I'm trying to get out of the city sure all right fine fine we gotta own up to it sorry listeners but wherever you are it's probably not as good as here (laughs) probably Uh (laughs) uh-huh if you want to write hate mail it's you send it to (laughs) steve.nagel at At (laughs) crashcords.com but cc matt storm at crashcords.com I want to read the hate mail that you send it we'll put it at the end um so Clearly, you're kind of very much interested in a style, and we're going to get into this after our next song, song break when we talk about the album that you brought, but clearly you're a big fan of pop punk, yeah. and you kind of have roots in that, um, mm-hmm. growing up listening to that. Um, has that always been kind of the only style of music you wanted to explore, or are there other kinds you want to try that maybe you haven't even played before? Um, I am terrible at defining genres, and like... Like that's actually, the, I think, a good thing. That's like 60% of our job. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> even just remembering, you know, from college, like, you were pretty much all over the map then, and in the good way, and, like, there was mm-hmm. pretty much nothing you wouldn't try. You played a lot of funk back then. You also had an ear for classical. You were great at voice leading. And these are talents you don't always find, I guess, in your average run-of-the-mill, like, pop-punk, you know, upstart garage bander. Yeah. I mean, I You did, had it. I did play violin for, like, 10 years when in, like, elementary school all the way to high school. Right. And oh, high wow. school. So... Is that something you could go back and still play or do you think you don't really uh, have the muscle memory anymore? No, because especially because like I've got like bassist fingers now. I'm used to like mm-hmm. spreading out and violence yeah, very, very tight. Slim, yeah. Um, yeah, I just have fat German fingers too so I just <laughs> wasn't... I mean, I liked it at the time but like it, having that classical like background like or like... I'm sure it helps your songwriting yeah. and stuff, right? Definitely. Um, do you know how to play piano as well? Yeah, not very well. But, but uh, well enough to help you write songs if you needed that kind yeah. of thing? Yeah, that's what yeah. I figure out. I hear that more and more often a lot of singers and songwriters of any genre whether it's rap or punk or pop like everyone learns how to play the piano because apparently it's like the backbone of songwriting it, it helps yeah. it definitely helps uh, I was actually saying earlier you're kind of like 
the Paul McCartney role-wise in that you play bass, it's your primary instrument, but that you, you're competent at a lot of other things. And I think... Uh, no, just take the compliment. Take the compliment. I mean, you're talk we're talking about Paul <laughs> McCartney. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I really appreciate He's... it, but I'm like, oh my god. Um, I'll start role wise. I'll say quality wise. You know, if you want me to. <laughs> so, um, stepping away from uh, Blue Spruce and back to your solo stuff, which we're gonna listen to a little more of in a minute. Um, what would you say that you'd want to do more for your solo stuff? Do you have a specific kind of like? project or endeavor that you're working towards or is it just kind of you write as you as it comes and you're not really sure i kind of write as it comes i mean for me a lot of the stuff that i end up really really feeling connected to is stuff i got kind of stumble on mm -hmm. like chord wise you know i'll just be like like messing around on my guitar and then i'll find something that sounds really cool and then i'll end up like loving it and that's the song i really care about um so uh, like in terms of like what I want to try for my own personal writing it's kind of just like i i don't really think of it like in that way i just kind of write what I write and then that's kind of where it goes. Got it. I kind of write compulsory, like it just kind of happens, you know what I mean? Is it something like you're practicing and you come across a chord or yeah, something that exactly. you like and then you kind of embellish on it? Yeah. I mean, you know, I can just be like, do something. I'm just like, mm -hmm. okay, here's something. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? But like, that's not the stuff that like I really latch onto or like feel good about. That makes a lot of sense. Um, kind of just going through the questions here. But I have a lot of things I want to know more about you, despite the fact that I've known you for, you know, <laughs> kind of so long. Still, I need to know. So you said something to me uh, probably years ago, and you reiterated it here in, uh, I guess, your bio to us, just to make yourself known to uh, John and Matt. And that was that you... You always, obviously, you always had a, a propensity for music, but you you didn't consider it as a career option until kind of very recently, until post college. Back in college, it wasn't like a consideration. You're like, oh yeah, music is people who careers in music. It's dumb. And I gotta know, like, why not music, considering your background uh, at well, the time. Well. Uh I, right now, I would say that's a great question because obviously I'm going back to school for music. I'm asking you to put yourself in the mat of 2008. <laughs> the reason I didn't think I'd be able to get a job, I was like, I also liked making videos, kind of just any kind of creative thing. So I was like, okay, radio, TV production, this kind of sounds like both of my things, but it was kind of just like, like a overarching, like very general, barely scratching the surface on mm -hmm. anything. And there's one audio production class, and I was like, oh my god, this is so cool. This is like music, but it's not. It's like audio production. And then it was just like the one class, so I was like, crap. So then I graduated with like being very qualified to do TV stuff, but not wanting to do TV at all, wanting to do yeah. audio. But like, so I was like, all right, I have this major, like I paid a bunch, like a bachelor's degree. I'm yeah. gonna try and make this work. So I did like audiobooks and stuff like that, which was cool. I was like, doing work and freelancing, but like- Making I, money. <laughs> but it wasn't nearly as satisfying as music, so. Mm. Um, the skills transfer though. They so do. It was of. a matter of kind of get edging over to that and proving yeah. that you have a, I guess, a musical ear alongside your knowledge of audio production. Yeah, I mean, having a musical mind definitely helps with audio production. Yeah. But um, only having the one like cursory course in audio production from like a video production standpoint like was not at all enough that I need to like be out in the world and be like pay me for my services or you know what I mean because right. like I didn't know anything so that's why I decided to come back to school and like learn everything and just actually do what I was passionate about from the first place. So I guess my last question then what is your ultimate goal with that is that to be the big wig masterer? Oh no, the master not. masterer, <laughs> the master masterer. Yeah. I like that. Um, well. Uh, when I graduated from New Paltz, think, I thought I knew what I wanted to do. I had like this whole master plan, and absolutely none of it worked. So uh, my new approach is kind of not just kind of going with it, and like moving to Brooklyn, finding an apartment, and even like applying for this school is all just kind of been like 
I'm just going with it. I don't know where I'm going next. I literally have no idea what the next step is, but like I'm just gonna keep going. It's been working out so well, so I'll just knock on wood real quick. <laughs> um, Let us all knock on wood for that sake. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, it probably will go down similarly to the way it went down with Blue Spruce. I mean, since you're doing session work there, it's going to function, I imagine, probably very similarly in terms of audio production. Like, yeah. you're going to do various little projects and odd jobs for people and hopefully get into the production scene. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that, along with your classical training, uh, <laughs> will probably really help your songwriting in general. Yeah. And well, it clearly already has. Recently, um, a lot of people that I've met through friends and through school have been like coming to me because they have ideas that are incomplete that they want to make into songs recorded so I can help them with both so I actually just had like a like a writing session with somebody they came over they just had a vocal melody which is like so foreign to me because I never <laughs> start with a vocal melody sometimes yeah. I never even have one right. she's like I want to make this in a song so I was like coming up with chords behind it and just helping her I'm like what do you want for this song and just like kind of hearing her out and like I don't know, I'm very excited to see it, like, try to my hand on that. And, like, maybe doing that in a professional sense is cool because she's my friend. We're just kind of, like, hanging out. And, like, we're all just, like, doing our thing. But, like, I was like, I could do this. Maybe, like, someone would want to pay me to, like, do something like that. You're a veritable geyser of brainstorming now. Yeah. I I don't know. I literally don't have (laughs) He's always deflecting my compliments, this guy. All the time. He's Uh, humble. That's how I was raised. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like, though, that even though you don't really know what the end goal is, you kind of have a, a general idea of the direction. Like, you definitely want to be more involved in music yeah. and music adjacent. And I think mm. it, it, it it's not easy to take that direction, but the fact that you're kind of giving it your all to do it is, is admirable, and I hope you do well. Thank you. I mean, I love the work that you have. So we're going to take a brief break, and we're going to feature another song of yours, which is also a solo one that you wrote. So tell us a little bit, I mean, you did before, but tell us a little bit about the writing process for getting comfortable. Was this another one where you just kind of pulled it together while writing it? Um, no. Well, John jumped the gun with the inspiration. He just right. wanted to know immediately. Can't <laughs> wait five minutes, John? Yeah, no, I can't. All right. <laughs> I mean, that, this one was kind of born of, like, one of many dark nights alone with my guitar very you know like cliche I guess but you know I came up with a progression that just actually this one was kind of serendipitous I had a capo I I mean like a little thing to like change the tune in my guitar but I left like one of the strings off so it was like two steps lower like a whole step lower and it made this like really cool sound that I had never, like, I found just by accident. Right. I love stories like that. That's because sometimes, great, yeah. I mean, you know, being a piano player, like, sometimes it's as simple as changing your keyboard setting. And it's just like, <laughs> oh my god, what are these different ideas that I'm coming up with just because I heard something a different way? And uh, also for people who, like, go to other instruments, they get different ideas. Like, sometimes that's all it takes, and you have the spark of not just a new song, but a whole new style. Yeah, well, also at the time I was living in Poughkeepsie, my band was, like, not doing well. It was kind of, like, in, like, the end of a relationship, you know, how it's yeah, always, like, yeah, really sure. shitty, and then... And then, like, before, like, the inevitable end, that's yeah. kind of, like, the era I was living. I was working at a bank, very not creative, and just, <laughs> yeah. like, I need to pay rent and buy food. So this is what I'm going to do. And, like, also, like, in the, so then, like, when I would come home from that job, I would be working on, like, songs like this. Uh, so that's kind that. of, like, the area that... Kind of where in. your head was at at the yeah, time. Yeah, ex- exactly. Got it. All right, so uh, we'll take a brief break. We'll uh, let you guys listen to uh, Matt Dorsey's Getting Comfortable, and then we will be back with our album for the week.
And of course, again, that was Getting Comfortable by Matt Dorsey, our guest. So um, thank you again for bringing this music that we can share with the audience as well. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you on so far and chat about you as a musician. I'm just glad to have instrumentals. We don't get enough instrumentals. <laughs> That's true. Unless it's our like crazy avant-garde instrumentals. That's but. true. But I'm glad I suck at singing for your guys. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thank you. Hey, thank no you so problem. much. No uh, Humble is strong, man. <laughs> right? You haven't heard me sing. <laughs> Okay, the On the Impossible Past by the Menzingers. You read it in the title. Um, you might be surprised to know that it's from 2012. This is the album, of course, that Matt brought us. Well, 2012 is fine, because we always afford guests the ability to pick. Eh, pick whatever you want. We have generally ruled we do, like, 2015, 2016 albums, always within the year or the previous year. Doesn't really matter when we have guests, because we just want them to talk about something that they like, or that they're comfortable with, or that they think is interesting. Or, um, in the very rare cases, that they kind of pick out of a hat and go, I want to like talk Matt, about this. Like Matt, there's yeah, another one. Here's yeah. a thing. Here's a thing um, I thought it would be interesting. Yeah. Well, I, uh, yeah, I actually think that it's uh, kind of appropriate, since we have an audio producer in our midst today, uh, to read a quick perspective of the Menzinger's producer, uh, Jesse Cannon. This is a shameless quote from Wikipedia. I record bands every day, and almost all of them are missing something. The Menzingers have it all. The songs, the aggression, the heart, and the passion that most only dream of. Wow. Would Powerful. this be your contention, Matt? Because you brought it. <laughs> um... I mean, I think so. They have that something that's kind of undefinable a little bit. I mean, their songs are not complicated. The production is, I mean, I wouldn't say it's straightforward. I would say that the production is very well done, but it's not what it's about. It's about, like, the raw energy and the raw emotion, mm -hmm. and that's kind of why I relate to it personally. And when I'm, like, when I talk to other people who are fans of the Menzingers, I get the same impression from them. I felt it. And so this album is close to you. That's why you brought it to us? Yes. Um, I mean, this this album, I kind of... Just, I heard it. I didn't like it at first, to be honest. <laughs> mm. um, and then I had bro I broke up with my girlfriend after like two and a half years. And then I kind of like went back and was like, oh my god, this nah. is so perfect. Right. And like now I get it. Yeah. Ain't that always the way of it. <laughs> I mean, like, just the opening track, um, good things. Good things. It's just like just very blunt. I like it's just like. You know, I've been having a horrible time putting myself together. I mean, like, I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get to those lyrics. But yeah, we, all right, let's just kick into this. Um, just to speak to the opening tone of this, um, music journalist cliches notwithstanding, rather than call this raw for its soul quite yet, I'm going to apply it more to the mixing. It helps that, we again, we have a post-production guide to help us through this, but the vocals I noticed are mixed pretty flatly, but not in a bad way. And the guitars and the bass, they're very warm, but with just a touch of distortion, it's a very old-fashioned, nostalgic feel. We mentioned some of this two weeks ago when we did Muncie Girls, but this is even a little more closer to home because it has the heart, and that I absolutely agree. But now I'm gonna relent and also call it raw for its soul as well. Uh, the first line of the song, as Matt just previewed, is I've been having a horrible time. And you dwell on that line just a moment. There's a little pause there between the phrase. You just dwell on that and he continues, pulling myself together. I've been closing my eyes to find the old familiar failures. And just drawing out that final line, kind of even the vocalist himself is kind of shuddering at the thought. And he's like, he's shuddering at those failures. And then he replaces it very quickly with outright anger at the exact same lines. Just a ditto refrain of nearly the same exact lyrics. But this time amidst a more heavy instrumentation, amplifier, bleed over, screaming, kind of punching it out. Well, so once we got to the vocals, it immediately reminded me of one of my favorite bands from probably about 10, 15 years ago. I don't listen to them as much as anymore, although I think they 
still put out records. But Taking Back Sunday did a lot of melodic singing and screaming together, and there's some of that here. And I've always liked that better than just like screamo, where it's just screaming from beginning to Screamo's end. Screamo's a whole other league. It's, it's just touch like screamo. I feel like when you're screaming, and I've said this before on the show, when you're screaming for emphasis or for sake of emotion to add to a track, I feel like it really does add an impact. Whereas if you're just screaming the whole song, it's flat. Like there's no. There's no emotional give and take, and I really like this here, especially in this first track. It did remind me of the early Taking Back Sunday songs that I really like. It was especially the uh, the weaker side of the vocals, and I, I want to say weakness is actually one of the strengths on this, because the higher energy that comes across with the, the more yelling, the more screaming aspects of the vocal work isn't quite there for me but when he's when he has that kind of almost timid nature as he's saying these lines it's just very impactful especially when as in the first lines you're saying yeah. it comes from a place of weakness but it goes yeah. back to that it doesn't it doesn't allow you to just get full energized when the chorus comes in it, it brings you back down it doesn't let you dwell in this is going to be a happy-go-lucky kind of a thing or even a, a angsty kind of a thing which is what you would kind of get from a chorus when you're screaming out why all good things should fall apart, why all good things should fall apart. When you're screaming out something like that, it's very easy to take the turn towards angst, towards anger, towards uh, a little bit too raw, a little bit too mean. So coming back down, coming back to that safe, timid home base was really, really nice uh, to, to make that really like the warm blanket that keeps everything else in perspective. Well, I just like it because it's it, there's many ways to express like the same emotion. Like sometimes sure. you look back on something longingly and sometimes you look back on something angrily. Like you wish it was different. Oh, sure. I wish that had just been different. And then sometimes like, oh, I wish that was different. And that's why I really like the pairing of the same exact lyrics amidst those two very different backdrops. And also I say near repeat of the previous lyrics because the last time he says I've been closing my eyes to find uh, he doesn't complete that sentence as he does the first time he interrupts himself with what John just said why all good things should fall apart like he just abandoned the poetry with a giant woe is me like I've been closing my eyes to find why all good things should fall apart but there's a lot of reluctant acceptance here because it's not why must all good things fall apart it's the full phrase I'm closing my eyes to find why all good things should fall apart and then the final chorus of the song, much later, is so all things should fall apart, as if it was a, a necessity. But it's just so painful for him to admit it. Well, I've I talked at nauseum at this point on the podcast about progressive choruses and the fact that they kind of evolve as they go. It kind of creates a narrative in a song that gives a f fuller breadth of emotion. Like, uh, Matt, you were saying earlier that you related to this from a very specific emotional place. And I feel like because this kind of song is going through the motions, you were kind of wrapped up in it, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious if any of this was like... Like, yeah, specifically hitting you in any way. Because yeah. that was very much my mind, of course, when you picked the album, is I'm like, oh, Matt relates to the He Must. <laughs> and I, mean, I did, too. I mean, it's hard. It, there's there's a lot yeah, of, yeah. like, you know, it Everyone's brings everyone in in some way. There's always so, that yeah. one thing. That, but, I mean, that's what I like about it. I think it's incredibly... But you're the guest. <laughs> I think it's really relatable. I mean, every, like you said, everyone's had heartbreak. And it's like, all good things should fall apart. It's like, all good things should end. Yeah. It's kind of like a comforting thing to me it's like okay like yeah it's over and that sucks but it's like all good things are like this is supposed to this is how it's supposed to go yeah you know mm -hmm. I mean? like everyone goes through this this is yeah. supposed to happen exactly that's why i really liked my like my double take at that because at first i really wanted to see you know why must all good things fall apart because a lot of bands especially punk bands go into that like woe is me sure. you know mindset but then, you know, he, he's actually giving you the acceptance right up there in the first song, which is interesting because a lot of albums that we've looked at with, you know, looking 
at hard times. You take the album to come to that realization. And he knows it immediately, but now we get all the different phases of it, I guess, just as he looks back on it in the past. And that's actually one of the strongest parts of this track itself, because it's it's showing both uh, the duality of there's weakness in this character and there's strength in this character between the softer vocals versus the harsher yelling. And it's also setting up uh, a slightly different framework as far as theme is concerned, as far as the story is going to progress. So it's, it's definitely, as far as introductory tracks go, enticing because I'm not expecting this to be a happy-go-lucky. There's nothing happy here. Not, not in the long haul, not in the short haul. You can't have anything that's going to cheer you up. But it seems like there's going to be a little bit of a push through a lot of the depression that this track sets up. Right, but it's also, I, I have just a couple more comments, a little bit on that and also about uh, the tail end of this song. Because here's the thing, just, just to describe the overall music, like despite the basic, you know, four chord structure of this. This is definitely one of those bands where the wallop is packed to me purely by the vocals and that's more my focus than anything else. I think that it has an edge over the punk band we did just two weeks ago, which is the Muncie Girls in that regard, because the vocals are carrying that personal message. And because when he's speaking um, at speaking volume, like in the verses, sometimes his voice cracks. Like, he's on the verge of tears, and there's always that little vibrato that is accompanied with that crack, which is, you know, at first it's a little bit odd, but then later on it kind of, it, it feels like, you know, a friend of yours that actually has is undergoing some kind of serious problem. You want to help them. I think that's what makes it sound honest to me. Yeah. It sounds genuine, like he exactly. actually is feeling what he's singing about, which yeah. is part of why I connect to it. Absolutely. Um, the bridge is pretty obscure, though. I have to say, like, this is where he goes into these... <coughs> personal tangents like you said we relate you know you can generally relate to just about everything up until he says uh like we would take rides in your american muscle car i felt american for once in my life and i never felt it again and then following that it's so all good things should fall apart yeah and that's where it like well that's very specific that may not get me personally sure but i mean but if, if you were someone who is not american who listened to this? But I don't think you that's. Really I don't think that's like 100 percent it. Well, I mean, like this American Muscle Car comes up a bunch. Yeah. And yeah. he definitely had a best friend who like had an American Muscle Car, and they obviously did a lot of drunk driving because that comes up a lot yeah, too, yep. which is yeah. upsetting. But like you start like relating that with things yeah, later in the I album. I think this is kind of his way of like expressing, like telling his fans maybe like this happened. Like I had this really close friendship, and like I can relate to this too. That like ended, and like yeah. that's really depressing. So like. Even though I I attached to this album so hard because of a breakup with like a significant other, like yeah. these songs are actually about like a best like best friends breaking off, yeah. and like that's the almost even more like devastating in my opinion. Sure, I, I totally feel that, and it's actually, I mean, it's interesting only because he waited until that very last verse to get in his own head. Or actually rather encourage us to get in his own head. You have to wait till the end before you're like, oh, the reference, reference, curious. And now you start exploring his mind as opposed to be like, I totally get this, it relates to me. And sometimes that's not what art is. I do but believe you have to add that personal element, which is very specific to him. Well, also, I think that also would bring people in more because you're doing the kind of more general relatable stuff and then you make it very personal. And if you're a person who relates to personal stories, you'll get sucked in by that personal take on it I personal feel. personal 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 yep <laughs> all right well let's uh segue here quickly by just a little comment on the end of this um the very end of the track because it bleeds very cleanly into track two burn after writing i like how the album kind of has this live feel not 
not just in the mixing, but how this song ends. Like, it ends in this final guitar strum that just holds out, starts ringing, as if to say, kind of like, this is where the applause would be yeah. if this was a live track, or, you know, that's where the woos, you know, happen. But they don't milk that. They just bleed, it bleeds right into track two, Burn After Writing. And I thought that was a nice touch. Like, I think that it aided the flow of this Considering these these tracks are so concise, they're so short, I think it aided the flow of this album to have a short track and then just a clean connection with the second track. I wouldn't have wanted there to be a space there. So anyway, track two, Burn After Writing, the ringing continues, and it almost feels at some point like a secondary guitar is in the background, and it's going to like come in doing a Jimi Hendrix-style national anthem. It's, it's actually almost like a like an overture for this album a little bit. Or maybe that's to relate with the feeling American for once in your life. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, yeah, this is something different. It's still classic punk, but this song is somewhat more musically intricate. Because once we jump into the verse, it's two vocalists, or himself doubled, maybe? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I'm not 100% sure on that. But it's still, like, they're pretty much at equal volume. No one is more important than the other here at this point. And they're harmonizing. And it's back yeah. to pure poetry. Uh, against the more like delicate fast-paced picking and it's an ode I thought at first to what Matt said to someone else in his life someone the significant other or the one who inspired the song and it is but that's not how it begins at first it's an ode it seems to the song itself the one that got burned so to speak or that never got produced or developed because it pertains to too horrible a memory and because of the pain involved the insecurities of songwriting are plastered across this poetry Here's to you the same chords that I stole from a song that I once heard. The same melody I borrowed from the void. I'd rather observe than structure a narrative. The characters are thin. The plot does not develop. It ends where it begins. It's on the screen in paperbacks, in section 8 in cul-de-sacs. Electro haikus and drunk sonnets are moving me along. It's such I, a beautiful lyrics. I, it really, and it kind of doesn't say much without saying a lot. And I, it's it's very non-committal in what it's actually saying. And that's what keeps it evasive. And that's what keeps it interesting. What do you mean by that? It's it's not giving like concrete storyline or anything like that. It's just trying to sort of describe the ineffable of this song. And it's describing it in a very depressing and a very, almost an anti-bravado type of away. Well, I think it's just describing the song itself because it's so removed. Like, it pertains to, the, to someone that was attached to the song, and this is from a songwriter's perspective. So you're also kind of in his head at this point, but I mean, maybe just, maybe this also reaches out to fellow songwriters, you know, that you could, you could feel how it, how it is to uh, write a song that relates with someone you cared about, and then when the relationship uh, has changed with the person you care about, then it affects how you visualize the song, which is why I suspect that the insinuation here is that he burned it, and it never it never made it to the public. I mean, also there's this idea that when you're listening to music, you know, your perspective on the music changes with where you are in life. Songs that may have been really depressing because it reminded you of a breakup, but maybe when you've moved on to someone else who makes you happy and you're in a better place, you listen to that same song and you're like, oh, this is just a beautiful, sad song, but it doesn't make you as sad. As you were. And so I think this is kind of playing into that, too. Kind of how you view a song after you go through something. I mean, I would say I would say that it's like Steve, what Steve said. It's like kind of like meta and referring to the song itself. And mm -hmm. It's like, the, I mean, the chorus is, you cut my hair, you left red ink everywhere, do my hands tell a story, is it boring? Like, um, I think he's kind of like asking, it's like, you know, here's like another song. Like, just here's another song that I borrowed. It's like, I didn't even write it. And it's, I'm going to burn this after I write it, because like, is this song even worth it? Yeah. Like... And, 
it may not, in other words, it may not even be 100% related to like the fact that it pertained to someone who was close, but it may also just the, the insecurities of songwriting are here. It's just yeah. like, you know, he if he's being self-destructive in various other ways, then he's going to be self-destructive as a writer also. And that's why I find verse two to be so much more important than the first verse, because the second verse is actually speaking of love. It's speaking of a relationship. And the actual link between the first and the second is very tenuous in the beginning but as it progresses you see the link of creating a song and just not quite feeling that the 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 chords you're striking on your instrument are really translating to the individual who's listening in many ways when it comes back to the chorus after talking about forcing a sigh seeing you cry what i'd give for your caress to see your blue cotton dress balled up on the floor that line what i'd give for your caress another part of imagery involving touch. There's a lot of touch going on right here. To have it go back to, do my hands tell a story? Is it boring? It's another one of those insecurities, but now... While the, the the actual result is the same, the meaning is very different in this sure, verse. Really. And I like, I like how that one verse really transforms what the message is becoming. Right, because, you know, you can use your hands for a lot of things. And so the idea that all of the things that his hands do, do they not have meaning? And I think that's really interesting, kind of giving you different perspectives on the same person in the same place and in different places. Yeah, he's not light on the metaphors here. No, no, for sure like, not. It's every single line, you know, was I wishing on satellites? Uh, I'm just wishing the flame away. Well, the up. lyrics here remind me actually of a band we've done Oh, it was probably over a year ago now, but when we did Blurry Face by uh, 21 Pilots... <coughs> Episode 168. They did a lot of, um, you know, meta songs about the songwriting process, about where they felt about it, but also about personal relationships and kind of interweaving them. And so I'm seeing a lot of that here, too. And, I mean, um, 21 Pilots had some roots in punk as well, so, you know, it's unsurprising. And I think it's kind of punk rock to kind of make things personal, but kind of also give it a weird twist, you know? But there's also the emo slant that's going on right here in the vocals, and I would even say the writing style is leaning towards one of my favorites that I like to bring up because it's the only one that really stuck with me growing up, Dashboard Confessionals. The vocals definitely take a stronger turn right here uh, as far as being emotive than the first track. The first track did a lot to set up the stage, but here, as, as personal as it got, here feels so much more personal because the the just the presentation feels so much more in in the gut in the back of the throat as opposed to just enunciating and projecting it feels like it's coming from a core idea a core emotional state and at the same time it feels like it's it's the metaphors are getting to be more much more personal much more intricate much more associated with very specific well, events. While the first track started off as very open and felt very much in that area of, oh, it's it's to touch everyone and then gets personal. Here, it starts personal, but it's designed to touch everyone. I will admit he does have a tendency to kind of drift back and forth seamlessly between like being abstract and being very on point and specific. Um, and that, that's curious. I think it just speaks to his state of mind like while writing this. Well, I think also, uh, before we move on to the next track, it's important to note also instrumentally this track, it does something that, you know, a lot of pop punk does that I don't actually mind is, you know, taking a song that, and Dashboard did this a ton, that sounds instrumentally brighter and kind of could be happy, but if you listen to lyrics at all, you know it's not. But I like that kind of dichotomy because it also kind of adds a disillusionment to the state that he's in, this idea of that, like, the things around you seem so bright and happy, but you're in this kind of dark place where you're not. 
And and the song kind of conveys that too a bit. I realize you can kind of get wrapped up in the lyrics here and then not talk about the music, which yeah. is rough. But uh, I can say one thing. I like the drums in this track a lot better. I yes. thought they were a lot more dynamic. They kind of underpinned the second verse really, really well. And uh, yeah, that was nice. At, at the same <laughs> time, I was actually focusing on the guitar melody more than I was in the first track. I was actually like following along that instrument as opposed to anything else that was going on a lot more, which is weird for me. I love the bass and drums and a lot of this style of music, so it's nice that it that something else hit me in the face. What about you, Matt? Is anything is this all about the lyrics for you? Is this a hundred percent lyric heavy track no, or does the instrumentation I mean this one reach out. I never really like latch on to lyrics. They're usually the last thing I listen to when I listen to a song because 'cause I'm always listening to like the instrumentals first, because that's, that's what I do. Right. But um, I feel you. <laughs> I mean, the main thing I'm kind of out of my element here, even <laughs> that I'm doing this basically, like with analyzing lyrics. I mean, but. It, like, there's not too much going on that's like very interesting. Not to say that it's boring, but like instrumentally, there's like it's very simple. Simple melodies and chords are pretty much a simple progression. So it's not really about like that so much. It's more about like kind of like the feeling, like what Matt was saying before about um, having like kind of like a happy, happier song, like juxtaposed to really depressing lyrics, like that kind of. Like effect on yeah. like your on your feeling like that's what I really respond to well. I'm gonna shoot myself for this cliche, but it's kind of like the soundtrack to your life kind of effect. Sure. I feel like you know I don't know I hate myself I do I really do, <laughs> but like just it feels it, it is backdrop work. I I like it. It's just I I I think I'm more about his poetry here, and that is a strange place for me to be in. No, I agree. I agree that the words here are definitely probably the more emotive part of yeah. the song. All right, and from that we go to track three. The obituaries. Um, Sounds super happy. All um, right, what, quick comment on the intro, because this is about the instrumentation. Yeah. I like that he shuffled it up a little bit here. It begins with these brief little clipped eighth notes. It's so clipped, it's like a, it's like a buzzer. The guitar just eh, 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 really quick. And it perks up your ears a little bit. It, it raises, it raises. Well, there's a high, a level of high energy here that we hadn't really gotten yet. Like the, the yeah. other song was a little bright, brighter, but here's where we're kind of leaning in more a little to the it's punk also, side. It's also it's a it. longer instrumental intro, which I was happy to see. And that clipped note thing, it returns sometime later into the verse uh, on the upbeat, which is just, of course, classic punk. Uh, and I thought that keeping that around was a nice thread. Uh, I was just gonna say what Matt said was like really going into or would. Uh, play to like this album sounding like a live kind of setting mm -hmm. whereas like you know this would be like in the you would expect this level of energy by the third song in the set whereas sure. like, you know good things is a great opener for like a set not that they do when they play live but it could be you know what i mean like this <laughs> right. is a very good flow of energy in my opinion i feel like i'm at a show basically listening to this mm -hmm. album well it's definitely more punk than anything else so far it was a little that a lot heavier especially when the drums come in because the guitar honestly i would have found it very taxing to listen to that for much too too much longer than what was actually presented but yeah. when the drums come in it does a lot to bring out all the potential that actually was in the guitar that right. was in the bass well one thing on, on that uh, it sounds more punk uh, I absolutely felt that in the singing and I was thinking this even from the first track was especially apparent here and that this singer it seems like he wants so badly and it's just because the punk influence to be British like just the way he the, the, the inflections that he puts on certain phrases maybe it's just punk influence itself that because so much I mean, punk influence I mean, came yeah. from Britain you have a a little bit of that that lilt here and he begins we stumbled and stared at the carnival lights that lit up new york city and he's like he doesn't def he doesn't pronounce he doesn't enunciate that it's just in that little like kind of slurred speech way which it feels like it's it's more for effect 
and at times when he does that, it feels a little bit less because of the inherent emotional value. But then there are other times where, like that vibrato that I mentioned earlier on, which he keeps using throughout the the entire album, that sound incredibly emotional. That I like to hear inflection that is based more around that than um, things for aesthetic effect. And then in between the vocal work, the guitar is actually doing a lot of talking. And this is something that's a little bit different as well, because now instead of, you know, the designated like vocal pieces for a bridge for the guitar to come in, we're actually just getting a little bit of flourishing in the instrumentation in between, really doing a lot to, to build up like hype for the next part of the track, to build up hype for when the chorus comes in. Because by the time the chorus hits, I'm totally ready for the, as repetitive and as like, just really mean and, and in your face it is. I'm so ready for it because the good instrumentation sets it up. Because of, I think, the second verse, the second stanza, it's just so extremely depressing that it sets you up for this. Um, all right, I know he's a little bit messed up right now, but just, just listen to this. Because I've cursed my lonely memory with picture-perfect imagery. Maybe I'm not dying, I'm just living in decaying cities. But I'm still healthy, I'm still fine. I've been spending all my time reading the obituaries. Um, okay, this is a little bit weird, but that this is one of the... One of the few areas that I related to hard, not specifically because I spend my time reading obituaries, but I took that to mean kind of like a stand-in for the kinds of depressing things that you do when you're in a kind of downward spiral. This like, idea I, that I've, I've occasionally been guilty uh, <coughs> at times of, you know, if I was depressed for whatever reason, then I just go down the spiral and start watching like why planes crash or something like that. <laughs> and I'm watching like plane crash videos. It just like pushes you farther and farther down the spiral. Obviously, if you're reading obituaries, maybe it's not necessarily. It doesn't even sound like it's people he knows personally. If he's it's reaching obituaries, obituaries yeah. in general, it could relate, of course, with somebody he knows personally. But the fact that he pluralized it was just a little bit strange to me. It felt like you know another thing that he did because of the state that he was in. I mean, that's. And it, that's a relatable concept, though. I mean, I often, when I'm sad, listen to sad songs and get more upset. But it's kind of this idea of if you're in it far enough, there, you can't go back. Well, so you have to push most through. Pe- most people would listen to sad songs. Listening to art, you know, that's, yeah, yeah. that's the lighter version sure, of sure. doing something so, you know. But what I'm saying is that it's this idea of doing something even more depressing when you're upset to kind of push through. Because you're kind of at the midpoint and you know you can't backtrack to get to a happier place. So you push through to an even sadder place to get to the other end. And, and in the midst of all that, he builds it up to a climax and it lands with what John previewed. But I will fuck this up. I fucking know it. I will fuck this up. I fucking know it. And he repeats yeah. that on and on and on. What I love about the repeated chorus, though, also is that when we get to the last one, towards the end of the track, the instrumentation changes a bit. It shifts. It's not as loud and in your face. It kind of drops out a bit. And I like that. I like that, you know, he lets the vocals really have the effect on the final refrain. It's simple, and it gets simpler as it goes along. But it's such a statement. It's such a... Like, you can't get more crass in a statement like this. So keeping it simple is perfect for just getting the message across. Well, and it also doesn't overstay its welcome. A lot of these first couple of songs were on the shorter side, and so they kind of state their case and then move on. I mean, I would say that you can tell in this style to kind of take the most tragic line of the song and, like, that's, like, the hook and, like, to repeat that over and over again. Like, all good things should fall apart. Like, that's mm-hmm. the, the line that gets repeated and, like, I will fuck this up. I fucking know it. That's, like, the most tragic line, in my yeah. opinion, of it. And, like, that's what's driving at home is, like, a simple but, like, really powerful emotion and, like, that's what he's pushing as, like, the hook to hook you into the song. Okay, that's interesting because, also, I like the fact that he switched up the tense. Like, he goes back in time. Like, I will fuck this up. I fucking know it. But what we started out was 
uh, nostalgia, not in the positive sense, but in the negative sense, where he's looking back on a time in which he, you know, past tense, fucked things up, and now it's suddenly, I will fuck this up, I fucking know it. And I thought that kind of, like, confusing the tense a little bit there was really interesting, because it shows, like, the nebulous, cyclical nature of this all. Like, well, what's the difference of, you know, if, I'm, if I fucked it up then, I'm... I'm going to, I am, and I have always fucked this up, yeah. essentially. Again, yeah. It, I mean, he's done this several times now. This These courses that are sh evolving as the song continues, showing the range of emotions he's going through as he's, A, writing it, or B, performing it. Yeah. Or probably both. Or probably <laughs> both, <laughs> yeah. Um, from here, we go to track four, Gates. Um, and so this is, by far, at this point in the record, my favorite vocals here, because he's delivering his vocals in a way that feel even more from the heart than they had before. They just have this kind of sensitivity with like a razor's edge that I really connect to. Well, there's a this simple guitar riff that's in there that is that is very bright, very tappy, and it's so endearing for it because you're getting a lot of complexity in the lyrics on top of something that is doing a great job of just propelling everything forward, uh, getting you from point A to point B and allowing you to follow the story that goes along. Because this is one of my favorite tracks on the album, probably my favorite lyrical track on the album because of just the complexity that's going on. I'm the pain that beats through your temples every morning when you wake up. I'm the boy with alcohol poisoning from all the parties Chris would throw. That summer that took us in, like every other American. For getting drunk in back of the Lions Club, waiting for shitty bands to finish up. Then some kid played hacky sack while the others just got high. Like, And that's nice and condensed and it keeps going and it keeps going well, he's, got a he's lot telling to a story here. here this is this song's way more conversational and it feels more personal as a result well as you as he describes i guess personal experiences i find that the instrumentation gets better or maybe just a little bit more on point i got to say I, even before he begins singing i really loved the opening guitar the mm -hmm. whole opening is just it was very up my alley and i have to confess here up to this point um, I mean, I'm kind of with Matt and saying, all right, this was my favorite song as of this point because prior to this, the music hadn't been entirely up my alley. Like, it was good, it did its job, and although it was significantly better, I think, than Muncie Girls, which I'm not going to endlessly compare this to, but just because punk, um, it's it's not reaching out of its comfort zone, and that was the problem. Like, there's a lot of four-chord progressions, it's lots of easy-to-follow riffs, and I would personally, I think, feel more empathy if the other in instruments, like namely the guitar, was... Not its own character, necessarily, but a reflection of the vocalist. Like a soliloquy that is just as vital to the plot as the dialogue. And I mean, in some ways, this whole thing is really a soliloquy. Obviously, it's coming from him personally, but like just the nature of, you know, those first-person lyrics. So it's like the soliloquy is to the actor what the guitar is to the vocalist. And I like when that's brought out fully, and I think here was the first time it was truly done. Um, just to the, the opening guitar panned a little bit to the left ear, and it just felt like it had more character here. Mm -hmm. it's, it's singing, it's it's mulling, and you get all of that before the verse that John just read. I mean, also, the guitar is kind of perpetuating this kind of... I mean, sort of beachy vibe. It's not necessarily surf rock, but you can kind of, I could imagine a sunset or like walking through the sand or something, kind of self-reflection maybe, sure. which I, I imagine beaches at sunset are what they're used for is for self-reflection. I mean, why else? <laughs> do you like long walks on the beach? I no. do, actually. And what you get is actually a couple of different uh, takes on builds throughout this track as yeah. well. Like each verse introduces a new idea of 
you know, you start mostly with a very tappy rhythm, a very simple rhythm, get some guitar flourishes, and as it goes along, the rhythm really does a lot to kind of, not explode, but just like build up the walls around this singer. And then the third verse comes in, which leads straight from a bridge and goes right into a very, very soft guitar start that is really, really stark compared to a lot of what else was going on in this track. And I like everything that's going on right here because we're not getting a very simple progression. We're getting it's a little stark, bit here, a little bit there. Stark contrast compared to other things in this yeah. album. I still think this is all under the, within the, under the umbrella of punk, but as you get further and further into his world, then I notice the subtleties more. And these subtleties are really starting to come forward and giving me a lot of texture to work with here. And that's something that uh, you don't get a lot in punk. You get a lot in other genres. In, in uh, I'm guessing some of the indie influences that are also associated with this band. Uh, it, it seems like there's a lot of bleed going on right here that I'm thoroughly enjoying. I mean, it's not super foreign for pop punk to be influenced by other genres. I mean, some of the pop punk bands but it's that I like... the other way around. And not always. I feel yeah, like with a lot of modern pop punk bands, they have to de defy genres a little bit because you have to throw something into the mix besides just the same thing. And they they're doing that here a bit. But I want to go back to the lyrics because it has one of my favorite lines. And I don't I don't have the full lyric. I just have the specific part of the lyric that I really like. So I will read the full lyric. Go for it. But I fed the liars. Everything I got in my cabinet brain of canned thoughts. Everything I've got, it was everything I've got in my cabinet brain. I just, I love the strong imagery of ca cabinet brain and canned thoughts. Like, I'm literally picturing a guy's head shaped like a cabinet and opening a door <laughs> on his forehead with cans of different thoughts, like animated, and like him plucking out the cans. Olives, repressed memories, like fourth grade. <laughs> it's just, it's really strong writing. When you can get me to kind of imagine that and then imagine it in a fanciful but not comical way, like, you know, if it were an animated music video kind of this guy kind of self-reflecting on that way like it's just it's really interesting songwriting and not something that's super common in a lot of things that are influenced by mainstream music and pop punk specifically i will say he's uh another more veritable geysers uh this time of metaphors i mean i just it, yep. he keeps on coming with it. and they're always very like sometimes metaphors can get a little bit tiring it's just accept what you mean say what you mean but i only because it, I guess it depends on the kind of poetry that you really prefer. But this is this is up my alley. It, it feels so very it effortless. Um, I, I have to say just one more thing here about like the the music itself because this is probably th th these are moments where I they stuck out. I mentioned subtleties earlier, and there's a couple times here, especially just considering. All right, the whole song is in A flat major, and then around like one minute forty eight seconds, the single guitar just flutters in with a little bit of comping just to form a full A flat seven chord, A flat major seven, and it's on it's on the home chord there so it kind of like it nestles you in that moment it really indulges I was just a beautiful beautiful little strum and then uh, at the end of several phrases he comes in with a D flat major the four chord before resolving I don't know this is something about the four resolving to the one that I like a lot better than the five I know that's a really stupid minor minor point but that's just it's what I like you're allowed we often make stupid minor points on this podcast it's kind of what we do that's true um, it's kind of why we're here. Um, I think this is a good place to segue to um, track five, Ava House, which has one of my favorite <coughs> instrumental starts because here we get a kind of thumping drum that's very steady when it starts before the vocals come in. But what I like about it is that it's kind of got this reverb on the drum impact that adds 
a, a visual element. I don't know. You ever hear like a percussion that like sounds so stark or so honed that you can picture the impact of the drum, and that that's kind of what this does for me. But like I said, you get subtle aesthetic changes for the album under the umbrella of punk, and this was probably one of the starkest of the batch, considering yeah. I didn't expect that tone at all. Just yeah. this resounding, you know, drum sound. It was pretty unorthodox for this record, and I have to admit that when the crash came in following this, that kind of interrupt that. It, it it the crash that is the like the guitars like they it came in heavier a la the first track a la several of the choruses throughout the album and all right it was heavier I guess they had to break it up a little bit but I kind of wanted them to milk that that that, that kind that of drum tone, tone yeah. a little bit I don't know there was just something very tinny about the guitars that I thought kind of contrasted it I actually really liked that I thought it added a lot of clarity to what was going okay. on in the previous part I do have a huge complaint Taste about this track. Taste. And it's the first time I'm going to make this complaint, and might be the last time I make this complaint. I'm not a fan of the vocals. They're too soft with just the drums. It's almost like a, a pillow's muffling everything that I can't quite... I mean, you can understand everything that's going on, but I can't quite get behind the emotion that's associated with it. It's very dead. See... When, when it goes to the chorus, I'm then even against the the yelling aspect. It feels like it's too far apart in, in the dichotomy of what's been going on. It feels like it's just too much energy and a little bit more forced. Uh, well, I mean, if you... <clears throat> his vocals kind of sound like... I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but I like... They drink when they when they play. They drink uh -huh. beer, and like yeah. it's a, the song is is about like getting like messed up. Like Avery, you're trying to get high. They're like I kind of imagine them wandering around the city like drunk. <laughs> so like this is like a like not that they're like a drunk band like the Dropkick Murphys. Like yeah, let's go. You have to be drunk to enjoy the men's singers. That's not what I'm saying. But like he almost kind of sounds drunk. I almost like can't. He sounds like he's slurring his speech. But I feel like that's yeah. all part of the aesthetic that he's trying yeah. to create here. I really liked it, especially by the by this point on the album. Like I got used to that vocal style. Like it wasn't like maybe there were a couple of hiccups earlier where I was just like, but a little confused where he was going with it. But now I see it's kind of meshing with where his head's at. I believe it was all intentional. Well, and that like speaking to what Matt was saying, <coughs> also it's one of those things that I think that's why I liked a lot the thing that John didn't like as much. This this stark thumping and these slurred vocals and this kind of bizarre structure. I think to me, kind of gave this song character that... It's like going well, down the rabbit hole. Yeah, like track four, you're getting this kind of character and framework that is kind of unique for this, actually very unique for this song, and I enjoy it. You know, It's unique for the album. And, and for the album also, but like even the moments within the song are unique to the song. Like when it shifts to those stark changes for the track, they feel kind of individual as well as still blended, you know? Like there's a mix of the two, but they also have their own character as well. And I will say that the vocals are my only complaint that's going on right here because it's not just the thump, but when the bass comes in in the second repetition of this kind of chorus, it's almost like a back and forth chorus, uh, A chorus, B section going on right here. And I understand the contrast between the two, but it really kicks up when the thump comes in and it's just a bass accompanying it. That really started to get to me, and that was that was, like, that was the focal point here. of it. But. I'm still very focused on the content of the lyrics as opposed to their pronunciation, as opposed to their delivery, because I like what's going on here, and I understand the story that's going on, especially because with these really deadened parts, here are the lines. Ava, are you trying to get high? I hope the floor holds this time. We'll dance in subtle romance together while we're making our time, while we're making our time. I love this idea of subtle romance. I love just the concept of it, the... 
just the, the the image that comes to mind of you know it's it's not a high romance it's not a, a grand romance this isn't Romeo and Juliet no it's something softer than that something a little more fragile and the music is is matching it the music is telling this story the jump I I, I still I'm still on the fence with with the the vocals but the jump makes so much sense in context of the story I saw the knife now I'm leaning forward. Straight city light cut me down to size. The bums are scheming on their tall boys. I can hardly open my eye. This right, right away you're getting imagery. Knife. That right there. Cutting. To the point. Perfect for that big upstep. And that's where I, I really want to disagree with what Steve says. I think the story matches the music. Because that transition I think is totally fitting for what the story ends up being. I would support your argument in a different way, kind of more leaning towards our guest, Matt, and how he's saying that it's, this sounds like they're drinking to this song. Like, the the, the kind of changes and, and things that you were just talking about, I think, kind of go with the inconsistencies of being drunk. You know, and I think that kind of meshes well. And two, even the, sto- the story he's telling, finger quotes for the audio audience. Um, As opposed to the visual audience. <laughs> we have videos, sort of. We even some. Um, <laughs> One will never be released. Yeah, that's also <laughs> as true. per Kita Sincere's husband. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, it sounds like it's a porn. I don't know. Why. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, I think that that kind of kind of blends the points together. I think that that makes me enjoy the song more. Understanding that perspective, I didn't kind of always like the shifts it took, but I did enjoy the kind of overall character it had. All right, so let me close with the uh, one of the final verses then, because that's the one that actually kind of says just about everything that both Matt and Matt have said. <laughs> I saw the knife, now I'm leaning forwards. I'm two wheels barreling down your way. You can't touch us. We're untouchable. Lament the beginnings that we celebrate. Never afraid. We're fearless together. The rest, they're waiting their lives away. Gold has us slurring and pissing out windows. Enemies are so far away. He's caught up in the moment. If yeah. it, this may be the, the most lighthearted track on the album. And that says a lot. <laughs> track six. Lighthearted as in, like, because I imagine he's like, yeah, we're yeah, untouchable. It, uh, exactly. Yeah. It's complete delusion. But, but like, uh, that's, like, the the feeling I got. And, like, I don't know, you're at a show and you're feeling stuff and you're drunk. It's very yeah. cathartic to be a part of that. Exactly. Sure. So we, we ended with the most relevant lyrics. <laughs> track six. <coughs> Sun Hotel. So here, um, the track starts pretty much immediately with vocals and guitar work here. Mm-hmm. There's kind of no lead-up or intro, which we'd gotten a lot on a lot of the other previous tracks, which I like. It kind of kind of jumps right into it. it it's more reminiscent of uh, a band I, I cited on the podcast quite a few times, Flogging Molly, who have punk roots because, you know, they did that a lot. It's kind of high energy jumping into it, and so this song kind of is reminiscent of that as well. Yeah, I um, th- this song had really great interplay. I think the music was a little bit of higher caliber in this song. Uh, this is another one, though, where I think I'm really more about the lyrics. I just, I guess I'm kind of getting more curious into his life again. Unfortunately, the way, the way, this, the way this album progresses is, like, you need to start building the story, and I'm not sure the music is 100% doing that for me. Sure, um, I Sometimes, like, it remains the backdrop that I initially described it as. But let's just give a little bit of background here. Opening verse, I remember you well at the Sun Hotel, where we were waiting impatiently for a decent night's sleep. It's like I've landed in the rubble of my past life, and I never seem to board a return flight. From the shame, the fear, the guilt that's tough to mention, the kind that always pry your eyelids open. 
Yeah, I mean, this is another song where from the get-go, you've got very strong imagery. Like, you, can, I can picture the Sun Hotel. I don't exactly know what kind of hotel it is, but you're picturing, like, kind of tacky wallpaper and, and cheesy music yeah. and terrible sofas. Like, he's painting a picture here, and I love the way uh, he does like that. like a noir film. <laughs> and then there's the connections to previous tracks. Uh... The muscle car that we got in the very beginning is going to be making a show. But here, eyelids, prying your eyelids open up again. That was just in the previous track, just like uh, later on. When all eyes are glued to the 6 o'clock news for another fire, another impending news. That fire, fire's another reference that's showing up again. It's not just the story of the individual tracks now. They're starting to bleed into one another, and you're getting the full book as opposed to chapter by chapter. There's a lot of references going back to the previous stuff that is really starting to make it very concrete. I'm putting the spotlight on Matt here. Our guest, do you know the specific references at play here? No. No. I, I didn't really right. look into his life. I'm sure it's okay. out there. You didn't have an interview with the guy? <laughs> That's required reading for, yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> for the Crash Courts, as you could tell. Um, I, I'm curious about his life. That's the thing, yeah. though. That's why I asked, because I would like to know more. I can't, maybe, maybe at this point it is becoming just a little bit of a criticism, is because sometimes he gets a little bit too abstract. I guess for the subject matter at hand. I guess, but I don't know. I don't. I, I think there's enough emotional tendrils to latch onto that getting abstract isn't still that far removed. Like I feel like we're still grasping at stuff that's tangentially related, even if it does seem abstract. Mm. And also, I feel like, especially with a song like this, you know, he's doing that thing again where he's mostly screaming for emphasis, but otherwise the vocals are fairly mild mannered, and and I like that. It's more than just mild-mannered, though. He gets theatrical in this that he really didn't get it in previous tracks. And I'm pretty sure this corner of the world is a loneliest corner in the whole world. Maybe it's me or the bartender, this Budweiser, the other customers. He, he's getting emotive in ways that he really didn't in previous tracks. He's, he's playing up a lot of like inflection that we really weren't getting. A fairly even tone, fairly back and forth. This is different. There's there's almost uh, an attitude here in in the delivery that's that's cheekier than what we've gotten beforehand, and it's it's definitely a like a whole another aspect of his character. I don't know. I sense that we're all trying to figure him out, though, and I don't know if all of us are succeeding. Well, see, but I like that. I kind of like the air of mystery, and also like this is sort of tangentially related. But like when when I look into books that I want to read, I, I tend to lean away from fiction and more autobiographical. I like listening to an auto, audio book read by the person who wrote the book, who it's about, you know. And I think, like with music, I tend to some albums that are emotional, if they're fairly personal and sort of autobiographical, I tend to get sucked in. So even if I don't have all the details, I'm kind of grabbing onto the details that are here and it's engaging me a bit. Well, that's an interesting point. Audiobooks, autobiographies read by the person who the book is about? Yeah, you actually found a lot of those. So, so it's like an audio. But that's that's actually pretty crazy because that's kind of like music in a way. Like you're, yeah. you need to feel them say it's, it. It's pretty common for autobiographies now. For if if the person wrote it, like especially if it's a celebrity or a comedian, they will often read it themselves because they wrote it, and so they'll read it as well. So you get it specifically in their voice, which I love. Didn't know those existed. That yeah, sounds actually a little bit on the creepy side. 
like a little bit too personal. I think I want yeah. another layer between me and various celebrities, especially mm-hmm. the crazy ones. Well, you're uncomfortable with your feelings, and that's I'm not fine. uncomfortable with my feelings. I'm uncomfortable with their feelings. Fair point. But but so I'm getting a sense of that from this track and for sure the record as well. And you know, I mean, provided we have any other great, um, you know moments or things to discover in this track i'm ready to move on to track seven. Oh no, no 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 there's a fade out oh there's a fade out that is so tacky that. but works so well the fade out here is is like the thing that we harp on that we hate to talk about it because it's so bad no it doesn't just fit it's great i really enjoy the way it kind of rings out because the content of the track of being very much dwelling in the past and trying to make sense of it this is it's almost a step back from earlier in the story in that it feels like he's searching for answers once again after receiving other answers. Like, they just led to further questions. Here, this is this is definitely a heavy, reminiscent type of a track, so having a fade-out of it, of, you know, turning the idea around and around in your head is perfect to really deliver the finishing touches on this idea. Well, it's funny, I knew Matt would fit along really well with us on the podcast when he immediately went, that was a fade-out that I liked, and I hate fade-outs. And we talk about that a lot. So I knew that was a, a, a good moment to start from when chatting before we got on the air. I, I was kind of just like, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's I a know. thing, it's there. You were less really have. Yeah. All right, track seven, Sculptors and Vandals. Um, just to, again, to speak to the tone, this is another really tinny song. I, I like that tone specifically. There have been other tracks where I guess when it was contrasted with the warm tones where I liked it less because I liked the warm tones better. Yes. But here, when it actually becomes the thing and it's that's the thing from the get-go, then this is completely up my alley. I also liked that his voice felt more integrated at this point. I think uh, you, Matt Storm, you made a, a little comment on how his vocal sounded a little bit separate in the beginning. Um, so they didn't of, sound like they didn't sound like they were mixed 100% with and I kind of heard what you were feeling like they, they didn't sound like they were mixed well with everything else like it was it was its own separate track and then it was just overlaid and there wasn't a lot of like balancing that was done there because it was mixed so flatly and I said that in the very beginning here I feel like it's finally a lot more integrated that's just my overall observation because I, mean, I really did notice that in the first track I mean I would agree I think that what really st- struck me in this track is the music um kind of starting off like that guitar that you're talking about very reminiscent of like slower 80s songs think breakfast club era I kind of had that, that very emotional kind of impact that all of those songs had but this is interesting because this track makes a strong shift and builds to it towards the chorus where it does get more pop punk more aggressive heavier but i feel like it earned it there are a lot of songs that make that shift where you go oh well i liked this kind of emotional place it was in but here I felt like it, it was making motions towards that throughout the evolution of the instrumentation and the vocals. And then so when it hits and it gets a little harder, I don't mind it. I feel like it's kind of adding an emotional impact to it, which I thought was a nice change. Well, it keeps most of the spirit of what was going on uh, from the melody and the rhythm section. It keeps the ideas that were being built there. It just builds it up to the, you know a huge wall of noise that kind of smacks you in the face to get you to pay attention to what the next segment is going to be about. And it's a nice contrast, especially because what it culminates with, the third verse, quote-unquote, or maybe the actual chorus, I don't know. It culminates in in this way, this back and forth, that just kind of sits in between the really harsh second verse and the really down-key soft first verse. It's just a nice little home space that feels... For the first time on the actual album, it feels safe here. It doesn't feel like there's really any conflict going on. 
without the sort of the disillusionment of a lot of the more drunken section, the more, you know, ad hoc sections. Well, I would agree with that to a point, but only because... Eh. That's a tough one, because I also feel like the instrumentation overall hasn't been bold enough on this record to really, like, warrant me, you know, seeing this, like, ah, they're back home. Did they ever really leave? It's been his vocals that have been more uh, experimental than anything else. They're the ones that are going down the, the, the dark alley, the dark roads, he's exploring his past. It's all in the lyrics there. The music itself, like I said, it's been tough throughout this... Um, they're not doing that soliloquy thing. They're not reflecting the plight of the vocalist to me personally as much. So then when I get something like this where it's just kind of sitting home, I feel like that's kind of par for the course for the album. I mean, I disagree with what you said about how the music is not matching the lament of the lead singer. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, especially with the last track, Sun Hotel, I mean, like, that guitar part that comes in is like, I remember you well, like, after that intro, and then, like, we have, like, lead guitar part, right, right. like, which is just, like, a, not the same melody, but very similar. I feel like it's, like, this, it's, like, picking up where the vocals left off. I feel like it's very, like, a very good picture of, like, where the lead singer is emotionally. All right. I guess that's a perspective difference. Like, it's just, like, I see what you mean, and I do remember that exact phrase. I just it didn't feel like, to my ears, like it was going quite far enough. I don't know, but I think that has to do with the thing that you said. We did have a track, after all, where they're all it's all about rocking out, where they're on stage. If they're on stage, and if a lot of this album is, I think, him kind of working through it, maybe it needs to maintain a more positive feel in general, just to kind of avoid it from going down the truly dark paths. See, when you say that you wanted to stay positive, it's just, like, not where this... I mean, this is, like, coming out of, like, emo music from, like, right. the 2000s, and, like, with, like, a pop-punk feel, so, like... That's just strange, because I hear the music positively. Right, like, well, it's, like, because they're... It's positive, like, you have, like, <coughs> happy-sounding background vocals, but it's, like, that almost makes it even more tragic that the lyrics are sad. Mm. And, I mean, like, the album title is On the Impossible Past. Like, nothing about this album is gonna be Like happy. a whitewash <laughs> of denial, in a way? I don't know, denial, but, I mean, just a whitewash of, like, feels. <laughs> angst. Good enough for me. And I would say even the third section of this track is it's not home. I didn't I didn't say home, so it's not quite that tangent that uh, that that he went with. And I do agree that home is a messed up place, and that's why this third section actually feels odd in context because it does feel safe. It feels the least aggressive out of anything else we've gotten. And at the same time, the least depressing. It's not the soft thump of a of a you know really deep drum with some backing bass that lets you really bemoan a situation. It's not the harsh guitar that allows you to really vent that frustration and that anger. It really is a nice, even, level-headed idea that's paired with some of the simplest lyrics. Walk home single, seeing double. Walk home single, seeing double. That repetition is... He's numb. This is a very, like, deadened aspect, which is paired with the safest and probably the, quote, most generic of music on the album, the most easily accessible mm. of the entire album. It's not really trying to be, you know, an emotion. It's not trying to be evocative of anything. It's trying to keep you in a very safe, warm do nothing space and it does a great job because that's the mindset right well, here. Well luckily instruments aren't trying anything because they're inanimate but yes. I see your point. <laughs> yeah. No I really I do see your point. I, I think that might be a little bit of a disparity problem for me personally but I don't know. Anyone disagree? I yes, don't know. I, I already made my point though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I think I tend to lean more towards John in this case but um, I don't know. I think pff, this track kind of speaks to me just because of the place it lives and I related to it a lot. 
let me uh, just read the previous verse, just, just to see, because he does get specific, and I don't want to avoid the specifics. Actually, I'm going to read the whole damn thing. I remember when you came around. I was younger, burning statues to the ground. Now I'm older and tired. I no longer see the differences. I remember the taste of the fruit. Just remember all we knew. Said we wanted to be interesting. Then we fell asleep. Those days you'll find me where the nectar's plenty. Looks are cheap and the talk is heavy. Liars lie to themselves. Liars lie to themselves. I remember. You said sometimes I need you around. And he said if my convenience is just so convenient. You said you wanted to be interesting. And then you fell asleep. These days you'll find me where the nectar's plenty. Looks are cheap and the talk is heavy. Liars lie to themselves. See... As you talk about this track in a general sense, you kind of avoid a lot of that subject matter. Right. You know, because I, all right, maybe I'm not feeling it in the music. That's just my, my personal opinion. But especially when he, like, cites, all right, they're kind of general lines. Sometimes I need you around, and then he says, um, if my convenience is just so convenient. Like, these are, like, boiled down, clear-cut, um, I guess, summaries of a much bigger problem. Sure. Specifically, like, if my convenience is just so convenient, that cuts like a knife through me, you know, <laughs> for personal reasons. And it's it, it's looking back on, I guess, a, this is still in the same exact place it started with, which is why the, the theme of this album has, you know, been extremely constant, while at the same time you're getting various different phases of the things that he has regrets over or the things that he just, as we said earlier, bemoans. And I am still head over heels over these lyrics. I just personally wish they were supported, but anyone can prove me wrong that they are supported. Go for it. Well, I mean, well, I would say, I don't know that I can prove you wrong, at least in this track, but I would say that what I like about the theme work of this track and how it kind of ebbs and flows with this kind of amorphous blob of depression and, 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 and sadness is, you know, a lot of other albums we've covered that are this emotional, that are talking about heartbreak like this, kind of go through a flow and a direct narrative of like, you know, denial and then acceptance and then blah, blah, blah. And whereas this is just kind of like real life where it's like, it's not always that clear cut. Sometimes you go back and forth. You're sometimes really fucking depressed and then you get better and then you get depressed again. Sometimes I need you around. I hate that line. I hate that line, but I love that line. Of course you do. Because who, <laughs> who says no. sometimes I need you around? <laughs> right, I know. You complete me. It's like one yeah. of those cliches that shows up that's like, mm, No, it's specifically, it sometimes I need you around. In other words, oh, well, I, you don't need me at all. You need me when you need me. Right. And that's a right. problem. And yeah, I feel him. I feel him. Totally. Just not the music. Track eight, Mexican Guitars. So this probably has one of my favorite guitar riffs to start, especially since they kind of let the guitar play and breathe a little bit in the beginning. It's not just kind of strummy or kind of really fast. It, it kind of ebbs and flows a bit. and um, It's plucky. Yeah. It's plucky, punky restart style, which I really enjoy. But the framework is very indie. It's not as hardcore as what you would get with the style. So it's... A uh, nice little uh, abbreviation uh, put in the very beginning of the track. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would say plucky because I think this is mm. the, one of the more depressing tracks on the song, especially musically wise and lyrically wise. Um, I mean, like, you know, like it's like kind of like slowly strummed out and like these like really minor sad chords. Um, and I mean, there's about like a friendship that falls apart. Yeah. I think more what I meant by what I love about the guitar riffs is not necessarily that they were plucky, but they kind of were pronounced. Like, yeah. you know, they were strummed. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. I'm often fixing your problems. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I like that was a quick All agreement. Right. That was actually... No, no shots fired. fired. No, no shots fired. fired. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, onto the vocals. This is another area where he's slurring his words together extremely. Honestly, to me... Uh, especially considering this, uh, just what Matt said about this track, it, it sounds like he's losing himself. Yeah. And I really hear that in his vocals. It sounds like he's losing himself slowly, in fact, on the album scale. Well, I had said that the vocals, well, just really quick sure. before we read the vocals, I had said in my notes, and I kind of thought to myself that these kind of vocals had more heart than a lot of the other vocals. I think it's because of that, what you were talking about. Like, you can really hear it in his voice. Yeah. That makes it even more personal, that kind of, the way he's singing. Yeah. I'll describe a little more of that after I read this verse. You were an old friend, the kind I could confide in and drink with on random neighbors' porch steps. Our glossy eyes painted portraits of the streets. You were an old friend that covered up your innocence with bad tattoos of all the bands you loved in high school. The ones you said that I had to listen to all the time. Now, just following this, when he goes into the next verse, I did what I did to get away from this. I notice that he starts off with, like, a scream. I did what I did. He begins with the, the scream. It's so heavier, so much more accented, and then he immediately comes down a notch. So his vocals are very dynamic in this way, and they, hadn't, they haven't really been this dynamic in any other track. He's all over the map here, and not just specifically between, like, verses and choruses, but between not even phrases, but words. From one word to the next, he slurs and weaves his way between, and then sometimes he's heavier, and sometimes he's just softly speaking. So that's why I say he's kind of losing himself all at once. And I, I love that vocal style at this point. It was getting more complex to me as the album progressed. It also felt like the content itself was more conversational, but maybe like an internalized conversation. Like you're saying him losing himself, maybe mm -hmm. he's talking to himself. I mean, we've all been at that point, and I feel like you kind of get a sense in that also from the actual specific lyrics that he's kind of just like almost debating with himself and talking to himself. Because it is like kind of a moral dilemma when yeah. he gets into this. I did what I did to get away from this because everything that's happened has left me a total wreck and everything I do now is meaningless. So I'm off to wander around the world for a bit without a hundred channels and nothing on TV and the great pessimistic unknown. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> this is uh, this is this is wretched, wretched stuff here. But this, this would be he had to do what he had to do. So energized, it would be like the emo of emo. He had to do what he had to do, yeah. and uh, now he's left the consequences. And the guitar actually shows up here a little bit more than it did in previous tracks. It's it's accenting the vocals. Surprisingly well for this album. I, they really didn't do that too much previously, but here there's a lot of lead-ins that do a lot to emphasize the beginning and really allow him to get uh, those screams, those yells at the beginning of phrases out m to much greater effect. Yeah. That it? <laughs> I mean, I, I would say also that not, I would disagree with John a little bit about how the guitar isn't doing things like this on other parts of the album. I'd say it's much subtler on other parts of the album, and you kind of really look for it. But if you're listening closely and you're paying a close attention to the instrumentation, there are, if there's nothing else the guitar's been good at, it's been accenting. It's kind of giving these emotional punctuations. But well, I they, did kind of disagree with that. But all right, <laughs> I'm just saying you kind of agree with that earlier too. Okay. I feel like it, it has some emotional moments that it marks really well. Maybe they're not as common as I remember, but I feel like they definitely in the moments where they count, they're there. All right, I'll agree with that because I did mark a few. I just I'm I'm sad that it was only a few, <laughs> but that was only a few to my ear. It may be more to others. Um, Matt, any comments? No. Uh, I think we covered it. All right, <laughs> all right. Let's <laughs> move on to nine, the title track. This is the title track on the impossible past. Uh, this was all right. This was probably my favorite 
So, uh, yeah, I'm going to say this was probably it my favorite. It was a record. brutal minute and 33 seconds. And not brutal in yeah. the metal sense, brutal in the emotional sense. This so, is wait, the... wait, before we go further, title track, short track on the album, kind of makes you wonder what the message is going to be when you see a minute 30 for a title track, something that's not even in the, the beginning of the album. Yeah, it's towards as well. the second, is, towards the end. This is the focus of his story on the impossible past. So, instrumentation-wise, this is like punk ambient. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's still, I actually was pretty impressed with the fact that it maintains the character of much of the record, but now it's got all of the things that Matt just said that the <laughs> other parts of the album got that I didn't necessarily agree with, but now it has it. All lodged within this track. So much emotion, so much, he's, everything, every instrument present is just dwelling, and I just felt like, it felt like he is at the end of his rope. Um, to which, actually, off, off, uh, off air, Matt, our guest, commented that he's actually kind of at the end of his rope, probably throughout the album, and I'm sure that's absolutely true it just feels like this is kind of the summary and of course you get a lot of throwbacks to earlier lyrics let's get it out we took rides in your american muscle car i felt american we shared our smokes i held the wheel while you drank and drove our plans were miserable and then we crashed your car your american muscle car into a ditch on sawmill road there was ice on all the roads we always dreamt of having nice things having nice things (laughs) That's and that that's last lyrics. line is almost like a joke. At least that's the joke. We can't. This is why we can't have nice things. But it like his usage of it is that his past tense. We always dreamt of having nice things. It's it's like we always used to use that in a joking sense, and now we can't joke about it anymore. Well, and it also is the connection piece to the next track happened. when we go to it, which is called Nice Things. And I like that the lyrics kind of tie the two tracks together as well as the music. But what I like about the emotional place where this song rests is the instrumentation takes it to a very kind of dark, almost warped place. And with those lyrics that are fairly matter-of-fact, it kind of gives you this kind of fever dream nightmare, like he's reliving this memory. It's like faded photographs. It's really, it's, it's a little terrifying in a way. Yeah. It also... Gr- creates a great frame of reference for what this album is actually about. It it, it seems to be stemming from a specific event, the crash. This crash was, it seems to be in many ways, the turning point of this relationship. And it's something that's only really been hinted about in the previous eight tracks. What was this event? Why did they have to get away? Nothing really had been said up until this point. What was going on that caused this breakup, whether it was between lovers or friends? There's a couple of gray areas that are going on right here, which I also like. But it also speaks to what I brought up before. This is the shortest track on the entire album, and it really gives a focus point of how an instance inspired this album. An instance created this discord in the relationship, this combination of of just living life too hard and fast versus what happens when finally you're getting your bell rung finally you're waking up it was just one moment of this life that he's led that caused such a a a angst filled such a depressing and angry and and real soulful album to really coalesce it's it's a very important really a very beautiful way of doing it Hmm. um well to me to answer to kind of talk about if it's like his like a like significant other or best friend i mean i don't really know i'm sure if you looked up his life maybe his wikipedia page you could find it find out but i mean i I think it's kind of ambiguous and i like that it is because it could be about anything it could be about you know at least for a listener you could relate to it as like a significant other or as like a best friend i think both are just as tragic I guess he did kind of write it in a way that you can superimpose whichever one you need to at your moment in life. Well, well, and also, and this is 
there's no way to say this that doesn't sound cheesy, but there's this idea also that, you know, the person you're in a relationship with, you can consider to be one of your best friends. You grow to yeah. that point where, right. or you start out as best friends and then grow into a relationship. And so I think that ambiguity adds to that as well, that it could be someone who they considered a lover and their best friend, you know, and kind of could go either way. And Which I like that. Which could be the case for Greg, the lead singer. I mean, like, I don't know what his preferences or whatever, but I mean, like, he obviously cared about this person a lot and had a like, profound effect that like, made this album happen. Yeah. It's also very gender neutral that I've noticed. It's I and you. Everything is I and you back and forth. Well, the he does he's say and she... she's are third persons, individuals that are not directly related to the rest of the story. Also, a lot of times they're paired. Like, yeah. he, whenever he does say a he or a she, it, he always says yeah, the he together. and she back to back. Yeah. And um, it, it just, he like, and a she. that ambiguity is just so nice in keeping this very open, but it's such a personal story. I just, I, I want to read the book, or maybe the book would be something that's just, like, perfect to, to do with just a maybe tragedy novel or something like that. Maybe he'll his autobiography and he'll read it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's so I can listen to it. All and then I will be, uh, I'll, I'll have emotions that I just can't deal with and I'll have to shut it off and read the actual book in my own voice inside my head. <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah, this this track is probably my favorite on the album because it's he, he's in tears, it seems, in this track and not on the brink of. Yeah. Most of the album, he's it, on the brink It does of it. seem like an emotional black hole, almost this like suction point for the rest of the album. Like everything leads to this and comes from this. And uh, as Matt pointed out to us, having nice things is the last line, and that becomes the title of the next uh, track. Track 10, Nice Things. Uh, pretty clean blend there. Yeah, it blends seamlessly instrumentally, I think, and I think it adds kind of a stark connection point to what we were coming from. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if you look at the uh, lyrics of Nice Things, which I hadn't until I agreed to do this whole thing, because like I said, I don't really delve into lyrics too much, but, I mean, Nice Things... <laughs> we didn't in the beginning. <laughs> this like, is how, rare for us. <laughs> nice Things seems more about, like, having having nice things and, like, being rich and, like, kind of like consumerism, and mm-hmm. there's also, like... Um, uh, lines in there about like Western Wall, which is a Judaism thing, um, which has nothing to do with on the impossible past and nothing to do with like we always dreamt of having nice things. That like that brings up things of like drunk driving. Like we ha- we dreamt up nice things and then we crashed your car yeah. because we were drinking and driving. That that like's horrible. And now we're talking about nice things in like a totally different sense. I mean, I love both these songs, but like that kind of like connection <coughs> there. Like, well, like I don't know. I don't know. It, it seems like deliberate, but like it's not even connected. Yeah. I got an explanation for you. The sort of living the high life, uh-huh. the dreams of childhood, and the friendship as they're growing up. This could be that connection of what got destroyed with the accident, what got destroyed in that instance. So it, this is almost like a rose-colored glasses kind of reflection on the past. See, well, actually, I would spin yeah, no, it a different way. All right, no, actually, I see that. In t- oh, all right, I'm going to hear your perspective in a second, but I think I actually do kind of agree with John because of the thing I said in the beginning about tense and how mm-hmm. he, like, confuses tense a lot. Sometimes he's he's talking about it in the present day, looking back on it very regretfully, and then other times he's he's he is the person. Like, his lyrics are speaking of the person he was then and looking forward to back things. So I, I think it all is just this big nebulous cycle, which is why, you know, I think it's kind of structured in that way. Well, yeah, and I would agree, and I don't think John's point is necessarily wrong. I think another perspective perspective would be like I mentioned earlier that track nine could be considered as like this fever dream or this nightmare yeah or think about if this is the car accident maybe the track 10 is the coma or the, the 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 point where like he was seriously injured and his brain is elsewhere trying to just kind of pull everything together and so you have this the kind of non-speculative fugue state 
Fugue state, yeah. Oh, no, and, not another coma ecliptic. <laughs> and, and, and so, By Between the Buried and Me, episode 156. <laughs> but I would, I would say that it could be either or, and I like that openness. Again, track 9 and track 10 kind of have this open air that you kind of imprint yourself on it and let it mean what you want it to mean, too, which I think is super versatile about a lot of his lyric writing. Um, I like how the guitar work here also has a bit of a different tone, which leads to my kind of coma unconscious theory, this, this echoey guitar that seems almost ethereal or kind of like it's from somewhere else. Which again reaches back to the 80s and kind of like the new wave vein. It feels mm-hmm. like it's drawing from that a little bit more heavily than some other tracks. And in fact, the guitar really does connect very strongly with the Impossible Past in the very beginning. And I like how in that transition, the guitar exactly the same tonally, but played peppy. Pe- played like fantastical comparatively. Mm-hmm. And as it rapidly like changes into the transition of this very almost offspringy kind of upbeat, like this very Yeah, there's a high just, energy just going with it. to it, yeah. Uh, the the bass, which for the most part does a lot of like sadness in this album, a lot of like reflection in this album, is is like simple riffs but almost energized in a way you I didn't really expect it to be presented here. There's a lot going on here that is taking very familiar ideas that we have with this album that's doing a lot more with them. A lot, not more, more is the wrong word. That's doing something a little bit deviant with them. I mean, sure, and I absolutely can see that. I think also, speaking to what John was just saying too, uh, instrumentally, when we get towards the latter half of this song, we get this kind of high-energy bridge moment with repeated lyrics that's immediately followed by what seems like a slower bridge with also harmonized vocals, kind of showing two sides of the same coin almost. You know, Mm, repeated lines, but at two different tones and speeds, which Mm -hmm. I think is kind of interesting as well. Yeah, the outro was really quite barren, and I think Mm -hmm. that gave it character, but so it shows like how all the nice things, everything is just falling apart here. I mean, even in lyrics, everything was falling apart from the beginning. First of all, that that, uh, line that that Matt brought up, um, the Western Wall is the opening line, the Western Wall is a jumbo screen. Um, So obviously, yeah, it it was a reference specifically to um, not just Judaism, but also it was the temple. Did we yeah. mention yet mm-hmm. that it was actually the, 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 la- the, the last standing, wall. standing yeah. wall of the temple that was famously like knocked down back in B.C.? And that's there, as I, I kind of interpreted that it's like the last vestiges of, of things. And there's a lot of that in these lyrics. At the gate, there's an automatic teller machine. Um, Sir, empty your pockets, please, before you file through. The king and queen foreclosed on their, cr- on their crowns, everything ending. While the joker laughed and made his rounds, he was drunk, carrying on, self-satisfied. The western walls are closing in. Are you happy, sane? Are you rich or are you thin? Dreaming their dreams? Singing songs of another time? Is your gold so strangely acquired? Has your name become known and desired? Have you degenerated? Are you running out of time? It's 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 terrifying how everything just closes in on you, and then you really do end in just that climb the wall before the fall. Climb the wall before the fall. No one is waiting there. Nobody's waiting. Nobody's waiting for you. And the music amidst this, is, we've deteriorated in all, in all senses. And you get different vocal attacks with them because it becomes uh, like almost a round between uh, multiple vocalists. I don't know if it's the same guy doubling or doing different lines on himself. It's hard to tell because when they do blend and kind of conflict with one another, you don't quite get the message across. And it's one of them's a little bit more distant than the other. This is really eerie, dreamlike kind of a closing, mm-hmm. and I like how it kind of kills the dream by the end of it. Yeah, it supports kind of both kind of interpretations that we were talking about earlier. It mm-hmm. kind of has a little of each. Um, we go from here to track 11, Casey, and we're kind of snapped back into reality, 
But I think my biggest issue with this song right off the bat, and it's kind of the first time I have a stark negative thing to say about this album, it's not even terribly negative. It's not an awful song. I just feel like Casey's the first time we're getting something instrumentally and even kind of lyrically that we've sort of seen before. I don't feel like I'm getting something new here. Now that said, I'm still engaged, and but this one gets kind of hyper-personal. And because the instrumentation is not super engaging to me, I just feel like it kind of washes over me instead of kind of wrapping me up like other tracks have. <coughs> I, I felt what you felt. Um, and I think I felt it for a specific reason. That's because I feel like we've hit rock bottom already. Um, again, the rock bottom for this album, which is all at rock bottom. So then when we go back up to this, like I really do feel like it went up a little bit. Like we get more references, we get additional parts of the story, and maybe that's just necessary for like the overall musical arc. But it, its impact was a little bit lesser than uh, to me, considering where we'd been. Well, I would say that um, you know if this had, if this was a live set list, that this would be like the the coming up on closers. You know, right. like we had on the Impossible Pass, which is like the lowest point, like, like energy wise, and like also how depressed it is. And then we have nice things, which is like a little bit of like a like kind of a transition and then like we're back into Casey and then like the last two songs are like the closers for like yeah. so I feel like having the songs in this order like having Casey like this song Casey here which is very much like the earlier songs it's kind of just like um, you know like how we're going to close out the album or like a show if this was a live well that's thing. why I said like maybe it's because it's like it's necessary from a musical perspective just to bring you around because if there was an audience there yeah that's kind of poor form I guess to end on such a dour dour note like I don't think your I don't think your agent is gonna like that. I don't think the venue is gonna want you back. Like they're gonna you're gonna want to I guess uh, create some variety over the course or take people down to the bottom and then take people back up to the top. I guess that's just generally how it's done. Maybe this was the first time where I felt like I I would rather the art of the moment and what he's going through specifically actually have trumped the live album feel, the live show feel. I guess just it wasn't as important to me this stage in the game. I wanted to hear what he had to say, but. That's me. I also have something that's different but very critical to say, and it's a shame because up to this point I was hugely invested in the lyrics, but there's something off about them here, and it took me a while to figure it out, and that's, while I love the fact that we kind of play around with pronouns and tenses, both are going on right here. And Jin and Casey, you'll still dance inside of me. I bet I sound like a broken record every time I open my mouth. I want to wander around the city with you again, like when you waited tables and I waited for your shift breaks. So he's speaking directly to Casey, yet pulls back. Me and Casey, we used to get drunk before we did the dishes every evening. Me and Casey used to get high and listen to our boredom. It's it's talking back and forth a little bit too much wow. of talking to somebody about another person or talking directly to that person that it, it doesn't quite have the same impact story-wise well, as other tracks. that wasn't a problem with me, because that's just the memory is a blur at this point, and I think he's just trying to fill out the, the, the total picture, you know. I think both are important people in his life. To yeah. include them both interchangeably, I think, is necessary. Well, I think also for me, like, that wasn't as much a problem. I think I hear what Matt's saying as far as where this fits in the album, and I couldn't agree more. I think it's still hard for me musically to forgive it completely. For the sake of structure and arc and theme, I get that. But I feel like I just, I wanted I wanted to see this progression kind of fall, flow through to the end instead of bring something back that kind of is reminiscent of the early album. I get how it works within the structure. It's just 
not quite what I was looking for, I think, and that's more personal taste thing than a fault of the record completely. And I will say one thing, though, to its credit, uh, Casey is gender neutral, and I like that the ambiguity, even when he's naming the individual yeah. of this, is still there. So like, you can imprint on it. Even even when he does break out other than first and second person pronouns, she, she shows up. When we could take my car, yes, she's still got the spirit. He's actually talking about the car. Like, the only time he ever talks about a he or she is a third party that influenced the events or was around during mm-hmm. said events. So, in many ways, at the end of the day, this is almost a love letter to the individual as much as it is working through all the conflict associated with this individual. You know, this is kind of a silly thought, but I almost thought, like, Gin and Casey was actually just a matter of, like, being euphemisms for alcohol. Well, it (laughs) could be, actually. The actual gin and then a case of beer. I'm sure that's not it. It's just, considering, you know, the little downward spiral trips that he took us on earlier, I I just started reading lines, and then little straight thoughts are heading me down that route. you're getting in the head of the author, the the creator. Gin and and Casey used to dance inside of me. I mean, that's not, I mean, it's not, you know. I'm kidding. I think it means more like he's drinking it. Yeah, I know, I know. It was a stupid thought, and I said it. (laughs) Your thoughts are stupid. All right. If there was, was like, a, 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 I guess, a line to summarize this track, the moral of it all is that because it was so much easier, it was so much easier than dealing with everything. That's the takeaway from this is I, I, yeah, I I don't think I'm going to use the word denial gingerly with this album. I think it's becoming... More apparent that that is the whole gamut. And then, and then, if you're an alcoholic, gin is a mean drink to be an alcoholic with, like <laughs> to really drown your sorrows. Like whiskey's one thing. No, we're not going down that path. Gin's a whole it was other a level. Stupid path. <laughs> <laughs> All right, track twelve. I can't seem to tell. I like to call this song the "I am out of fucks to give" song. It's just in the structure of how it feels and the way he sings the chorus and like the way the intro of the track felt heavier with the drum work and then kind of mellows. It just it feels like this kind of almost giving up song, but in the way that you kind of when you're fed up with how you feel or how someone makes you feel, you kind of just don't give a shit anymore. And it, it, it it's it's pretty powerful in how blah and kind of distanced this song is. Well, the, all right, this is another odd. Uh, Tense shift, like yeah. it, this is. We're back then. We're back in the past now. You know, I can't seem to tell. Everything now is, you know, yeah, me neither. I'm warning you. I'm warning you that I can't seem to tell. He's worrying about it now. And be- in the last track, it was because it was so much easier than dealing with everything. Past tense. Back then was the problem. I'm almost wondering if that is part of the arc here. Is that he just keeps drifting back and forth between the person he was then and the person he is now? In which case, that's that's pretty incredible. I don't think we get a lot of that. I mean, I think the whole theme is just like. The impossible past. It's all these memories right. that are, are shitty. I think they're all. It's like it's all kind of like in the past. Even though it's like I can't seem to tell. It's in the present tense. It's yeah. like you know. I don't know. It's all part of the impossible past. Yeah, that, and if it's it obviously still affects his life today. Right. So is it really the past at that point? It's it's an interesting style. And uh, yeah, I agree with Matt that this is definitely like that. I just don't give a crap anymore. This yeah. is just. He's done, I guess, if there was, like, a little criticism here, it may be that I feel he's kind of said that in some other ways before on this album. Yeah, So but, he's kind but, of repeating himself there, but I <coughs> I still think, like... This is more to an extreme of it, though. Yeah. Like, you could not care about a thing, but this is the 
fuck it all kind of moment. This is caring about not caring. Right. Yeah, and the, that uh, level. Yeah. The attitude is really great in this track, though. That's one thing that I well, just haven't latched onto. Not just the vocals, but the, the bass and the drum are really standing yeah. up again. That it, it, they kind of almost fell by the wayside for the last few tracks. So here, having them show up and be really the, the focus of it, whether or not they're being rhythm, they're being the heartbeat, they're being the soul of what he's trying to get across. So it's doing a great job of just being emotive once again to to really touch what they're what they're what he's talking about. Well also I think that the the way the vocals are kind of much closer to the mic here. It feels almost like that person who has grabbed someone by the collar is a little drunk and wants to tell you their story, but they're kind of breathing in your face and they're getting really close. But they're they're sincere and emotional, but they're kind of lost it a little bit. Yeah. I, I think that's a little bit too far, though. I don't. The emo- he's not that forceful, except for the random yells yeah, that but, show up. But it's so not. It's a, more but, like the asshole in the corner of the room who just is every once in a while is talking too loud. <laughs> so in many ways, we're not getting his life story on purpose. He's working through it himself. This is personal. This is his mentality of, okay, there was that messed up time of my life and I have to go through it. This album is that guy going through it in the corner of the bar and you're, in many ways, incidentally learning the story because he's loud and muttering to himself and you can't help but overhear a lot of just the emotional garbage he's throwing out in front of himself just to get, you know, it out of his system. I mean, it may be one of the first times of this podcast where I agreed with Matt and then John chimed in and I was like, oh, what are you going to ruin Matt's illusion? And then I may have agreed with him also. <laughs> so I, I, mean, I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of agreeing on this. Like, I think all this is an all perspectives are valid kind of album. And I think he wrote think, it that way. And think about that for a moment. I mean, we've talked about lyrics on the show a lot, but to be able to write in a versatile way where all perspectives are valid. Like, I don't know that we've actually really had a conversation like that well, that frequently. the most uh, important factors in this album to really get that across is, A, fool around with tenses. That's been really great for this album. It allows you to really just ignore the timey-wimey aspect of it. It's not, you know, just reflecting on the past. At moments, it feels like you're actually still there. That's how strong these memories are. B, it's the I and you, the first and second person perspective that is the dominating force of these stories. True. By keeping it from being a specific gender, from not really assigning an identity other than the maybe best friend, maybe lover, maybe whatever you need it to be, it, it keeps it you know, very personal to the deliverer, to the vocalist, to the singer here. And allows it to be as personal as you want it to be as the listener. Sure, yeah. It makes it almost kind of hyper-relatable because it's relatable beyond a certain level the last, as much as you want it to be. Yeah, and the last thing I've noticed also here is that there really is a moral at the end of almost every track. Almost. almost Some of yeah. them are left kind of hanging in the air, and I think they... they their moral is apparent in context, but in this case, it's that I can't seem to tell. I'm warning you that I can't seem to tell if it's my head or the earth that's spinning around. I can't seem to tell anymore. I can't seem to tell if it's my head or the earth that's spinning around. It's a kind of, like, just statement of, I guess, feeling just down and out is an understatement as far as this album is concerned, but literally feeling like you cannot be saved at this point. Um, And, I mean, I, I would ideally hope that someone you know who's in a similar position would approach this in the manner that all right well then the idea is maybe to try to avoid some of these things before they happen to you i i don't know it maybe this is just an existentialist trip that was unavoidable from the start 
maybe moral is a non-entity, but yet he always has a, a definitive conclusion at the end of every every episode. And this existential trip ends with Freedom Bridge, which is, if this is the finale of the album, and yeah, okay, last track, so yeah, technically finale, but if this is really where the character ends up with, it's, it's full-blown tragedy. Because in this case, we're actually getting slice of life. Other characters are actually showing up here, so it's not just his depression. This is more of a everybody has these moments everybody has this essence of like the worst moment of your life the worst events and the impossible past that rears its head and shows up and smacks you in the face i mean i'm just gonna say this builds off of that it's like the whole theme of this album which is great it starts off with good things all good things should fall apart mm-hmm. and then now we're gonna hear about all these things that fell apart and how yeah. much and like and all of the feels that come with that which goes with the you know existentialist trip that right. there was never a way to avoid any of this yeah that's all that's, good that all good things will fall apart well it also maybe they should fall apart. maybe they should i mean that's like that's like the the, the ethos that I'm getting from this. That's the only moral. Well, and also, I mean, that's unsurprising. The track kind of feels final. It feels like an end credit song. But also, I think it's mostly because it has this kind of bittersweet tone. It doesn't necessarily sound <laughs> sad. It sounds slightly sweet, but also sad. Kind of like you would feel when you... So bitter, rem- bittersweet. <laughs> right. But, we but, have a word for that. But, but, but explaining in a way, like, it's bittersweet because it's, like John said, people reminiscing kind of about and him him reminiscing this kind of idea of again hyper relatable it's it's even further than that it actually defocuses the album on the author because it's it's another one of those um go back to offspring it's the the kids are all right it's mm-hmm. talking about the tragedies of life you have mm-hmm. amy the waitress who is on oxys at 22 years old dies specialist jag a soldier coming back from the war dies McKiernan, a good old boy, he dies. And then the final character, the main character of this entire story, takes a jump off the ledge. That's that's the yeah. bridge. That's the freedom bridge. Right. You're which giving is, yourself... It's a twisted way of viewing freedom by killing yourself. It's which like is, the fucked up piano, man. <laughs> yeah, no, that's all exactly... Of the, all yeah. of those characters had problems. They didn't die, but, yeah. you know... Well, they all took the fall. They had all it took all the fall. and took the fall. And the... <laughs> This is why I'm really, like, I love tragedies. I really do love tragedies. Hamlet, one of my favorite stories, because everybody dies and nobody's happy. And to portray a tragedy from a personal sense is something you can do when you have Hamlet, when you have something that powerful where your characters are so connected. But here, the way it's ended, it decentralizes the tragedy. It it shows that everybody is full of tragedy, which is even scarier because how connected were you to the previous tracks? How connected were yeah. you to the characters right here? And then everything ends, and then their ending is not a pleasant ending. It's it's messed up. It's it's really like something happened on the way to hell. The new guard took the new guard. They took my sister. Something happened on the way to hell. The old guard. They took my brother. Hell. He's. This is the descent that's going on right here. The babbling speech that we've had from this author from this uh musician is been his descent not to release or acceptance or you know understanding the pain and working through it no this is it's building to an end this is a suicide note in 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 many ways but uh, but and what i think is interesting about writing it this way and having this track kind of set up the way it is is this idea of giving great 
tragedy to avoid actual tragedy. This idea of getting this out and framing it in a way so that you can avoid the actual event that might result in this. Or, or this specific event and not commit suicide, find a way to cope. I have to admit that the first time I read this, I was a little confused as to which uh, direction it was take it was going to take, and then I pretty much all of you unanimously said, "Oh, so, oh it's a suicide note," and like, "Oh, well, so, well, this one you were so clear on," and I was kind of leaning toward only one other thought, and that was uh, when he says, "Now we're standing on the ledge, we're looking at the ground. I feel my body breaking on the asphalt. I hear the sound, red and blue lights, screaming, saying, step off that ledge.' So we wrap our hearts up in our heads and take the fall instead. All right, imagery, all painting suicide, completely understand that, but it, when I saw step off that ledge." I, I actually kind of felt like that was the the righteous answer to the what he was saying in the very first track. Like, all, if all things should come to an end, then taking the fall is actually a good thing. And then it wasn't actually suicide, it was just the imagery for suicide, but it actually leans toward take the fall, maybe get rid of who you have to get rid of in life. Like, it's this idea of taking the plunge. In... Taking the plunge, stripping away what you need. Yeah. What you need to strip away I mean, in order to survive because that theme had been so pounded into our head earlier on. I'm not sticking by that, but... I don't know. That's a lot more optimistic than my take on it. Because, yeah. like, we wrapped our heads up in our hearts. Like, that doesn't seem like, okay, I'm about to, like, be okay now. That's like, I'm going to wrap my head up in my heart, like, in my feelings. I'm going to not think rational thoughts. Sure. I'm going to be feeling... I mean, like... I mean, this is coming out... There's not a lot of rational about this album, yeah, I'll admit. Well, I mean, because it's, like, about depression, and it's about... I mean, it's, like, on the impossible past, like, a letter on the impossible past. And, like, and then having an end with this song that's, I think, in my opinion, very clearly about suicide. I mean, like, I think that's kind of, like, the, what they're saying is, like, on the impossible past, like, this story that we've kind of been, like, delving into this whole album kind of ended this way like he wrapped his head up in his heart which of course then would paint the whole album really as the suicide note i guess like so. from the get-go yeah. that's just that's just so interesting considering that when i saw <coughs> when i read the first the first tracks lines like so all things should come to an end it was it was optimistic it was optimistic to me at that point because it felt like shredding what you need in order to survive but and there were a couple other tracks that, that did something similarly so i just found that very interesting that he went the opposite way with that like, he, maybe he did start off in the more optimistic place, and then he actually ended up nowhere because he realized he can't live without said thing. Yeah, also, I think it's important to bring up that, like, there's two different vocalists, and I would assume that they write, each write their own song, and this song goes back and forth between the vocalists, between Greg and Tom. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a Tom song, and Good Things, the first track, was a Greg song. I'm, like, wondering how connected they were on their writing, like, in their themes, because the themes seem like I'm looking at it, but maybe because I'm looking for a theme, yeah. I, I, they seem very clear between the songs, between the different writers. I'm mm. wondering how much collaboration went on there. And Maybe I, that could be the tense thing. I, I, that, that would be, be interesting. Yeah. Possible. To keep I, that I between the that. two of them is pretty impressive by itself. Um, but I want to go back to what Steve said. So all good things should fall apart. That first opening uh, chorus, that, that really... It, it, it foreshadows tragedy. I can't see it as any way hopeful. I, I just, I can't see it ending in anything but tears. See, but that's what's, I think, important about this record, is that you see what you want to see based on what he wrote, not what's there. Because what's there but is whatever the you want to But the line is, so all good things should fall apart. Right, good things should fall apart. He's making the statement that it has to, that it's inevitable. But what that's that's life, though. That's in general in life. Like it, we are all going to die. Thus, the greatest thing that we have and will ever experience will fall apart. So to me, that comes across as actually a very 
not a solemn acceptance, but a, a well-balanced individual's acceptance. It's just that later in the album, it does seem that that's not supported by any in any stretch. Or maybe that I'm, he started as that a he started there and ended up here, which. This is a uh, night of drinking. Whole pack this, of horrible. Yeah, this is a night of drinking that took way too many wrong turns over the course of the evening. I All right, a lot of nights of drinking. That's the impression I got. There from you go. This yeah. album. Okay. Yeah. Not to not to one up you. I didn't. That wasn't my intention. So. No, no. You complete. <laughs> stop being humble. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna take the fall. Oh, I was um, gonna do it. Not with the way it. he took the fall. I want to do it. If you want to. Okay. All right. Go. Monologue time. Um. Okay. Be concise. My complaints. We'll get them out of the way. I want stronger music. I want more interesting music. I want to be able to get the emotion of these words without having to hear the words. And that did not come across strong throughout the album. It came across strong in spurts, in places. when, Especially when the bass and the drum, even when they were simple stood up and really became the showcase point to support the lyrics, I could have seen that even evolving further into something that became those tender or heartfelt or emotional moments that really could have done more to expand on this. On the other side, the lyrics are freaking amazing. Like, it's a great story, and it's amazing that it was able to be so cohesive in being ambiguous and that's something that's hard to do it's hard to get into specific facts about stories and still allow them to remain as nebulous as they are uh the vocals throughout the bulk of the album is is really just top notch and perfect for what the story is trying to say and i guess like the the final thought i have though is that i wanted more variety as far as what the music was doing. Themes show up again. Riffs seem to show up again. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of like intricacies, not just in you know allowing the music to stand up, but it, it's very nestled in punk indie area, in, in being within that genre and doing the things that are associated with those genres. So I, I think I would wanted to just expand more into maybe different styles and different tonal choices. Um... Otherwise, it was a, it was, I really, I wanted to hate this album the first time I listened to it, and I ended up doing so. The second time I listened to it, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit more, and just throughout this discussion, it was just, and the pre-listen before we did this, it was just so much better than it was beforehand. It, it just, it's grown on me quite dramatically over the last week. So, four point one. It's it, it is definitely a step up from even like a great album, but it sh it needs more development in I guess the bass guitar drum combination to really make me rate it higher than that. It's it's great. I just there's something that's missing musically for me. So I think this album to me is best exemplified by something that we said earlier about just analyzing lyrics in general. I mean, you, Matt, you said that this is actually not your foray even going through lyrics because you're not a lyricist, you're a musician, and boy do I relate with you on that. Like, I just don't write lyrics. I wasn't really concerned with lyrics. In fact, I guess really uh, 10 years ago, hell, probably even four years ago, prior to <laughs> the beginning of this podcast, I really wouldn't have dug an album like this because... 
I, I do have to admit, the music to me is just not supporting it, and that kind of remains through, uh, it remains true to the end of the album with a few exceptions. One being the entire track of the title track, track 10, on the Impostral Past, it captures it fully, but it, it, it's, it's strange to encounter a track that encapsulates something that the rest of the album was stuck in denial on, and I'll get to that in a bit because I do believe that is part of the art. But the music in general just feels like a bit of a backdrop to me, and that is overall a bit of a problem. So I probably wouldn't have noticed this album as much for, forget, 10 years ago, because I would have been listening to his vocals, I would have been listening to his lyrics, but I wouldn't have been picking up on it. I wouldn't have been picking up on the poetry, I wouldn't have been picking up on the things that I may very well relate to. Now, of course, and this is definitely a direct result of being a crash chordsian and going through lyrics, which we can thank John for, of course, as I've done many times, just because he's more of a lyric guy, and I was always a music guy, and if you listen to early episodes, we were just going on complete opposite fronts, and it would have been him maybe lauding the lyrics, maybe. I probably would have been doing, you have different well, this lyrics. is a five, and you would have been, this is a two. You have, well, no, you have different lyrics that you like, so I don't know, can't confirm that, but I definitely would have been dismissing a lot of that, and that's to my discredit. Um, because now that I read this, and I do say you have to read it, then I start making connections with various things, various people that I knew in my life, and I read some of those lines and they do cut like a knife. But then I take it more as poetry than I do as music. Because I guess this is not in general how I would work out various problems in my life, and that is a pure taste issue. It's, it's, it's even going to be hard for me to rate on those grounds because it is so taste-oriented, but specifically because of the tone of this album and how he chooses to manifest it. In other words, kind of what I said in the beginning, like, you know, rock your way out, I guess, to it. I see that as kind of a denial. I understand that, like, you know, Matt has made the point uh, that this is still, it still feels like it's mulling, but I guess I just have a different threshold for mulling. You know, that's why I bring in a lot of post-rock bands and things that are just horribly depressed. And the music is, is that, to me, it just I do see a bit of a separation here between this instrumentation and his vocals. It feels like they're all trying to play a song that could have different lyrics than the lyrics that he plasters on top of them. And that to me is a little bit of a problem and it will prevent it from being a four. But to the poetry in question and to the moments where he does bring it out and to the absolutely amazing one minute and uh, change track that is on the impossible past um, and just to all the, the, being a great lyricist in general, this is definitely an above average uh, album for me because lyrics, when they matter, they matter. This is a three, seven, five. All right. My turn. So, it's no secret that I tend to lean more towards the emotional records. The records that I've rated higher are either so phenomenally uh, artistic that I get sucked in, like your St. Vincent's, or your Future Islands, where the emotional arc and narrative and 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 theme work just pulls me the hell in. And and again, I think here it's kind of everything we've been saying about how. The lyrics are both the most specific and least specific lyrics you will ever hear about any kind of tragedy. And being both at the same time, that is not something I can take lightly and just say is above average. I feel like so many bands have done music like this and it just washes over me. I just don't care. Your Fallout Boys, your whoever else who just do these bands, these bands who just do these songs that, well, now they just do pop dance garbage, but they did songs that felt emotional but were cheesy and goofy and didn't really kind of have the heart that this has. This is a band that absolutely knows what they're doing and how they're doing it. Uh, Steve quite a bit today compared this to Muncie Girls just because there was that punk connection piece. 
and how that their album felt kind of like it had huge holes in it. It was missing very specific things. Here, I feel like I agree. The music is definitely can be repetitive as far as thematically and 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 arc wise. Like it's pop punk. It's pop punk with a little bit of indie, a little bit of other things, hint of the '80s, so on and so forth. But the lyrics go well above and beyond the Call of Duty. And as someone who's been here, like been here, been here, I I can't ignore what this album puts out there as a whole. Um, you know, I still think that Casey as a whole, comparatively to the rest of the record, is a fairly boring track. But that said, it's not a bad track. I just didn't get sucked in. But on the whole, I totally get what the 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 narrator as it is whether it's specifically these two songwriters or whoever else this character is supposed to be is really putting out there and i'm connected and tapped in you know that said i still would have loved some more um originality in the music doing different things with the pieces they had i didn't need to the point that what john was saying as far as it to be completely individualized but you know maybe mixing it up at least with the skills they had would have given me some more to chew on um but it's absolutely an even four you know this i i'm actually excited to know that they have a newer record to see if they've evolved or grown from this, if they're in a better place, or if they're not, how they're still dealing with this. So I will definitely check that out as well as their older stuff. But this is absolutely an even four, and I'd be excited to see if they can continue to do this kind of poetry in their future records. Yeah. On on the Muncie Girls comparison, I mean, absolutely more better music quality, yeah. more heart, and more experience. Sure. All of that well, yeah, is absolutely. worth the difference that we have. And our guest gets the last word. Oh, okay. Well, <clears throat> I mean, as far as, like, trying to pick up a number between, like, zero and five, I feel like I'm incredibly biased just because of how personal this record was for me, especially when I really got into it. Um, but I think that, I, I mean, I hear what you guys, like, your complaints about it. I, I hear it, but I think that in my opinion, speaks to the character of what they did here. I mean, they're, it's like I've said before, nothing really complicated going on here. Nothing like the chord structure is very like, you know, one, four, five, um, which usually I'm like, you know, oh, that's so boring. Like, why, why wouldn't you do something more interesting? But I think that this record especially is just not about complex music structure or anything like that. It's about like, like raw feeling. And like when you're, when you're really down and you're just like feeling stuff, like, I don't know. I, it really helps to just have like that kind of like raw motive power, just like so cathartic, just to get it out there. And um, you know, I like how Steve was saying that like he felt like sometimes the music didn't match the feeling of the vocals. I kind of, I actually that was something I really really liked about this album because you know I was in this kind of dark place. I was feeling very down, and I was feeling a lot of the feelings that you know are expressed in the lyrics. But like, I what I liked about this album so much is that it's like okay I'm feeling down but the music is fun and energetic and I can kind of feel okay about the fact that I'm not feeling okay mm-hmm. and like you know what I mean it's like yeah. and even like the song Good Things which is my favorite song on the album um, you know it's kind of just like all good things should fall apart and like you could look at that and be like all good things should fall apart that's so depressing I don't want that to happen or you could look at it how I look at it which is like all good things sh- should fall apart so when they do after when you're like oh my god, I had all this great stuff and it fell apart, you can be like, okay, it should have. Like, it, that's part of, like, what we're, what we're all here on this planet Earth, like, to experience is, like, things falling apart, which is why I really, 
grasped this, like I latched onto this album. I mean, I only picked it because I love it so much and I felt like I could say a lot on it. So obviously my number, if I'm going to pick one, it would be a five because it's my favorite wow. album. I actually went through wow. a very similar thing a few weeks ago when we did Arca, and the imperfections we found in that album were just like so perfect to make that album better and to make it just more real. So I definitely see where you're coming from on this one. And also, we all kind of went with gut reactions on this yeah. one, but I, I guess it was necessary. There's so much gut involved in this. It's all it's about what about. you. It's all about what you need at various points in your life. Mm. Well, and also I this think this has a usage. I see the value in it. It's not completely unforeign for any of us on this podcast to rate based on uh, an emotional response to how much we connect to an album. You know, I think you know when Steve ta- brought the first God Sticks record on, that's probably as close as Steve ever got to a completely emotionally connected album that he was so sucked into. The instrumentals often can do more than than lyrics for me, but and, and relate with like the way I feel about specific instances, which is strange to me. But that's generally what I look for. But but the point is that it's not uncommon for us to find a guest or even one of us to find this anomaly that even though we know quality and production maybe some other stuff not necessarily this album but just in general may not be all five stars it's a five star to you because it's some of the just parts outweighs anything anything that you could yeah. say yeah so and i also like to say one more thing about like I kind of like emo music back in the 2000s because this kind of has like a 2000 feel but like with more like the like rough distorted overdriven punks feel I like that it's you know you kind of you were saying before Storm that like uh, you wanted them to do something different like okay you're doing pop punk but like what else do you've got yeah I yeah. feel like they were doing like emo and like kind of blending the pop punk together and like that in itself is different but also like the lyrics you don't find poetry like this in yeah. pop punk at no, all. You're absolutely usually right. usually it's just like oh I have a feeling and it's the summer like, <laughs> yeah right. exactly this is like this is yeah, poetry those are, that's, those and, are, and those are two level right. albums I guess in my uh, <laughs> well and, and 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 I think I was specifically speaking to the music itself. I yeah. totally agree on the lyrics yeah. level. Okay. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, before we uh, close it and get into the final song that you've brought us, um, I'm going to defer to Steve, who actually has a response to a comment we read on the air. Yes. It's not a spam this week, and we always love when we have uh, real mail instead of spam. I miss um, the spam. Do you really? Because yes. you always no, hate it so Well, I'm allowed to critique the spam. No, uh, critique our, our listeners. Hey, at no. this point, like one in every five, we get a real mail, right? Yeah, I know. Every one Seems five, like it. Maybe huh? optimistic. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. All right. This is actually a secondary reply from Gary Dretchel, who I read his extensive comments on the Baby Metal episode, episode 189, uh, just a couple weeks back. He had a lot to say. He had a lot of corrections to make because the Baby Metal fan base, they, they know Baby Metal, and they know a lot of things that we did uh, legitimately get wrong. So I appreciate his um, comments there, and I replied, and he has one more reply here. Um, first of all, thanking me for the reply. I really enjoyed the comments on the music, and I plan to check out more of your podcasts. Uh, GJ, which is comment actually the title of one of those tracks, but in this case just means good job. Uh, oh, and it's too bad you couldn't discuss From Dusk to Dawn, which is the track 7 that we could not get because of the strange little uh, uh, US release. It, yeah. It's available in Japan, it's not available here. But he says it's a very unique track compared to the rest of the album. Reminds me a little bit of Isis or something similar. That's the band Isis, which I'm very familiar with. Um, phew, that should be a, probably a future 
a future thing we do with the band <laughs> okay. ISIS. Um, you know, various groups notwithstanding, <laughs> they're aware of the joke. Um, and he continues, Oh, I also thought it was cool that you all enjoyed cis anger a lot. That's a favorite of mine as well, despite the lack of Sue metal. From what I can tell, much is lost in the translation of the lyrics. I've read comments that say it's sim considered somewhat vulgar language, which is interesting to me considering their generally squeaky clean image. It might be their first proper rebellious metal song. And that is from Gary Drutchell, and I appreciate your comments. Hope you keep listening, and uh, so glad to have a baby middle aficionado. We don't usually have band aficionados. No, you know, we welcome you telling us we're wrong because we know that we don't get everything right. Not I'm everything. afraid to review another baby metal too. Hey, you <laughs> like, brought it. You brought it, so that's well, on you. I brought it because I thought it would be nice and difficult, and it was difficult in many ways. <laughs> yeah, well, well, because it's not in English, and I don't speak Japanese. Yeah. Um, or any language besides English, and even that not very well. But like, I I don't want to let down a fan now. Like, I don't want to I don't want to review something he's gonna love. Listener, listener, it's do your fan. research. It's Grow up. <laughs> a he fan actually... of baby metal, sure. Yeah, that's All what right. I meant. Okay. So, um, let's time to announce. This is a rather oh, yeah. special closer because you're listening to episode 199. What does that mean? Next week is episode 200. I was. It was on the tip of my tongue. I was counting. So we're gonna do something a little different this time. We always try and find every 50 episodes or so for our our year anniversaries. Um, this will be four years. It's be four years. Episode Holy crap. episode Starting 50. Season, episode season 50. Five. Let's see. We did um, music and its relationship with other forms of art in all episode topic. No album review there, and it was kind of like a music against or with other art forms things, yeah. and we didn't have it 100% panned out, and it wasn't the best topic, and we didn't organize it very well. Nevertheless, it was a cool idea, and I hope we come back to it eventually. Episode 100, we actually kind of reminisced and talked about how the website formed and our all respective backgrounds, and it was basically just an us fest for the duration of episode as, as 100. We also got into like how do we define how do we define how do we go about the process and, and do what we do, which is very different then as to how we do it now and etc. Cool. etc. Et episode 150, just last year, we did exactly the opposite and we didn't look at us at all and we looked at everybody else out there that do, in some sense, kind of what we do. Music podcasts, analyzing our peers, looking at other people who analyze music and seeing how they approach it and all the different uh, styles and formats there are. And eh, kind of looking at maybe a little bit of where we are in the midst of things, but, you know, still we tried to make it more about them than we tried to make it about us. And we made a friend. And we did make a friend, Music A to Z, out in Vancouver. And now we have a Vancouver fan base, which I'm very happy about. The best thing to come out of that episode. So now, what are we going to do for episode 200? Something very silly. So we decided that... It's not that serious. It's not silly. It's silly. For, for it's episode silly. 200, we are going to take on the Billboard Hot 100. But we're not going to do the whole 100, because no. that would take a while. Um, we're going to do the top 10. We're going to take the top 10, structure it like an album as far as just 1 to 10. We're not talking about arc or theme over the course of the 10. It's just but we're taking one 10 track tracks, track. and we're, rating, we're going to rate the top 10... Probably on a, not album level, but we're going to rate the whole hog of the top ten. What represents the cream of the crop as what it is on the one The hottest five, singles that are out five. now. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, talk about individual tracks by different artists. So it's going to give us ten different artists to discuss in one fell swoop. This, it's something a little different. This enables us to get out of our heads a little bit because it's going to force us to consider the fact that this is not a matter of like, oh, you know, I just don't think they're relating with everybody. These are the best-selling tracks. They're they're clearly the relating, relating with for, people for the pertaining week. Yes, for the pertaining. We're gonna be honest, but we're gonna try to do them justice. Yes. So, shall I indulge our listeners with the exact? I would know. I actually want them to be a surprise. Okay. Make so, a surprise. So this it's, is this is also gonna be a lot of guys we're never gonna get to on this podcast. True. So, just to note, this is the top. 
10 of the Hot 100 as of June 20th. And this will be released uh, in early July, uh, episode 200. So it will be as of this week. Just it's the best we can do here because yeah. we're backlogged. Yes. So, uh, you know, timey wimey and all that. But so definitely tune in for that because uh, it should be interesting, at least, to say the least. Yeah. Interesting to say the least. The least. I said the yeah. least a lot. Yeah. Anyway. You're getting a little repeaty. So um, I'm going to set up our final track that we're going to play for you guys. And then I'm going to have uh, Mr. Matt Dorsey, who I want to thank for coming on the show, um, to read our sign off, our catchphrase. But first, the final track we're bringing on is, of course, East Coast Ghost, we talked about earlier. And it's the song Psycho Me. Do you want to talk a little bit about the writing for this song? Is there anything specifically like this song is really about that, that comes to mind? Um, well, the title. Um, like I, um, Chris wrote most of the lyrics. Actually, he wrote all the lyrics, mm-hmm. um, and he came up with uh, his guitar parts. But um, we, I mean, we would hang out all the time. We would we li- we would live together for um, different periods of our life. But um, he got this idea. Psycho me is like when, um, like you're like kind of like love crazy over something and you, you just like you kind of you're like what am I doing like this is like the psycho version of me okay. so like that's kind of like he told me like that's where like I we were having a conversation that's where he got the inspiration for the title Psycho Me gotcha okay alright well lots so, of ska and reggae influence in this yeah but yeah when we started out as a seven piece ska band oh wow wow yeah yeah wow <laughs> alright you know what that's even a kind of a small ska band uh, I would say it's I like every. I mean, like Streetlight Manifesto is like the, in my opinion, like the Scott band, at least the one that we were most influenced mm-hmm. by, and they had four horn players and then like the rest. Yeah. <laughs> four horns. Probably time I say right before you sign off that I think I enjoyed your music better than this album. <laughs> so take that for what it is. <laughs> so. I did. And even I love this album, so do more. Yeah. We, I want to. I want to follow album your around more. To. I want um, a three piece, completely ambient rock album. Again, um, or excuse me, punk ska influenced album. Right. <laughs> um, so again, Matt, thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's course. been a pleasure. You're welcome to come back anytime, just not soon, because we like to space it out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Um, um, but but if you would do us the honor of reading our sign off sure. and our catchphrase, you. this this right here. Yeah, that thing I wrote down that I put Catch. in front of you. Okay, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Music is life, and life is good. turns into a shout
If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.